0: Boom, and we're live, yes. Russell. Why is it then when people start getting like super spiritual, they start dressing like you? You
1: dress like a guru. We circulate <laughs> a memo, <laughs> so it's now time to stop wearing socks, stop shaving, <laughs> and make eye contact for a bit too long. Oh, It'll uncomfortable sh- eye contact. a bit staring. How long are you going to go with the beard? I mean, that's
0: that's like you're you're full on like. You're a yogi now. I mean it's gone beyond Jesus
1: and into yeah. Moses and lesser prophets or or Navy SEAL. You're in that range too. Like yeah. you could be some wild man. That's that's a mistake that wouldn't <laughs> that, like if there was an assault course in front of us that that the potential for me being a Navy SEAL would start to break down. I once went on a an assault course with some US Marines in that place near San Diego. I can't remember the name of that bass. And climbing up that rope using mm. your leg muscles, it was not good value. Didn't enjoy it? I like the camaraderie. And yeah. I really lo- like, I, as I've written about and talk about quite a lot, when I'm around very, in very male environments, I kind of really like it. I really get off in it. But I have to watch myself not getting too excitable. It's even in this environment, as a matter of fact, I have to keep <laughs> myself a little bit chilled out. Why? Not-
0: what do you mean? What does it do to you?
1: Well, I guess what it is, is my early life, I grew up mostly around my mum and I don't have brothers and sisters and stuff like that. So my male role modelling occurred later in life. And I think it probably mm. relates to this spiritual thing. I think it meant that I was, I'm was i very open to sort of spiritual experience, meditative experience. So I didn't mm-hmm. have a lot of grounding physical experiences or bodily experiences really till adolescence until and, se- and sexuality. That's the first time I really sort of got into the body. Didn't do sport as a kid. Didn't have like men going, right, this is what we do. This is how we shave. This is how you treat mm-hmm. people. This is, you know, I didn't really sort of get that kind of education. So now still, if I'm around like soldiers, UFC fighters, I go, you know, you know, I do BJJ yeah. primarily as a result of these confront well that's not called confrontations <laughs> conversations. conversations that's a much yeah. nicer term so like i there's a bit of me that's the guy get excited about the analysis of it it's not homoerotic because that doesn't happen to be the way that i roll out you but just
0: enjoy a little too much
1: there's something about it yeah you get fired up <laughs> and it may be what, what's bad about it
0: what's what's bad about getting fired up
1: Nothing for me, except, like, you know, look, my, as you know, my model for life is a sort of a 12-step model about watching my impulses. Yes. My impulses have got me in a lot of trouble. My impulses to take drugs, my impulses to sleep around, my, like, my impulses to even eat food. I've got a sort of a tendency to get obsessive. But, you know, you would probably argue that if you direct that that energy correctly, it can be kind of positive. I think it can, but
0: I agree with you that it can get out of control. And I have similar impulses. I have similar problems. And I've, I've just used discipline and hard work, especially working out, to try to mitigate it.
1: Well, that's what I pick up from you, is that your early encounters with martial arts have meant that you've understood from a young age, it seems to me, physical... Discipline, and I think that's a very important thing, and I'm only learning that like Mm. now because i've had a like you know drugs then fame then and and chaos and i've only just emerged from like the sort of the fog of that madness i love how you've emerged
0: though because it's very unique you've you you've uniquely emerged authentically like you this is who you really are like you're not putting on an act you've found yourself which is like what everybody wants to do they want to find themselves i mean it never feels like a completed task Right? It never, everyone's a work in progress forever. That's but, right. But you are you. Like, you are very comfortably you. And you've found what
1: makes you, you. That's a lovely compliment to get from you, Joe. I appreciate that. Because what I think about is, like, you're a very different type of person to me. There's things that, in this world, in these polemical times, you and I would be supposed to, I, I would say take adversarial stances on i'm vegan now Mm -hmm. you love hunting but my personal philosophy is my morality and my spirituality is for me it's not something i go around inflicting on other people and telling them how they should behave I i know enough now to know people are different people have different experiences and i don't let those things get in the way of how i evaluate other people we should all be
0: more like that i really i really believe that I mean, there's so many people that I disagree with that I have fine conversations with. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, and I don't think that impulse to to have antagonistic engagements with people that you disagree with is correct.
1: How else are we going to consolidate? If, yes. if like it's just like, I'm only going to deal with people that see the world roughly how I do. How are we going to um, um, form know. new tribes, new alliances, new relationships, new systems at a time when evidently, it feels to me at least, Joe, like things are breaking down. Yeah. There's a lot of bitterness, acerbity and confrontation and people don't want to talk to each other. I mean, I don't know how real that is of actual people. I'm talking, I suppose, about how the media landscape seems to present information. Mm. I don't know if that's true when you're... You know, when I'm around people, I don't sense, oh, wow, these guys are really tied up in Brexit or Trump or whatever. It doesn't seem that relevant to ordinary people. It seems to me that people are still operating on a in a personal... How are you today? Are you yeah. okay? You know, people are willing to get on like that. I mean, how, how are we supposed to take these ideas on board? They're sort of almost too vast for us. These right. geopolitical ideas that we're asked to identify with.
0: Right, and then your everyday life it hardly ever affects you or affects you very little in comparison to things that you ignore because you're concentrating on Brexit or you're concentrating on Trump or you're concentrating on whatever it is. Yeah, the wall. Right. Build that wall. Whatever it is. Yeah, you-
1: I start to wonder you know who is it that's involved in this stuff i start to what it's where i'm at now is are we even capable of belonging to groups units tribes of 300 million people or 60 million people with so many diverse ideas. Is this a time to look at federalism differently? To start breaking down well, you know, the I exist within this tribe of people, but I mm-hmm. collaborate with all these other people. I don't know how municipal action gets done. I don't know how you run an army and build roads if people are starting to operate in smaller units. But I am thinking that we need to have a, a real sense of community and connection and we've got to let go of looking for ways to object to and judge other people as some sort of primary for- way of forming our own identity.
0: No, I, I completely agree and I think we're probably moving towards some sort of understanding that a lot of these boundaries and these clans of you know states and countries... They were all established without our consent before we were born, and we're, we're just, we're a part of a system that we just were, we didn't agree to it. We just all of a sudden found ourselves in it, and we're trying to make it fit us.
1: Yeah, that's right. You and th- there's aspects of it that <coughs> are appealing, you know, like sort of during a world cup i really feel english and you know like i feel a genuine sense of connection and investment but if i'm being asked to live according to rules that don't affect me that affect except for you know that affect me financially and don't speak to who i am as an individual then i'm like well what is this 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 isn't for my benefit
0: yeah yeah and the the inclination to form teams and to root for your team and a root against other teams it's uh, it's so deep seated in us it's uh, and it can ca- cause so many unnecessary conflicts for no reason it's just it's it's so it's so escapable too it's it's some it's so if you can objectively analyze the way human beings behave and interact with each other and go well why do we do this let's just stop doing that mm. let's just t- if we disagree on things how much are these disagreements actually affecting me on a daily basis not that much can't we just communicate? Can't someone say what they think and I say what I think and we just decide like what makes sense and what doesn't make sense based on our own interpretations? Isn't that possible?
1: It seems like it's that's the direction we've got to head in. I, I did, a, as I know you have done, a podcast with Candice Owens who like on the subject of – You know, individual like when she says stuff like uh, people should get over slavery or it's as if it didn't happen. I don't agree with that. I feel like that has a massive social impact that that those statistics are not a coincidence. The number of people of certain ethnicities in prisons and in poverty or whatever. For me, that's not just a coincidence. But so (coughs) I couldn't agree with her more profoundly on, according to social criteria, some very, very important issues. But on an interpersonal level, I thought she was absolutely delightful. Yeah. And like sort of funny and sweet. And she's very young, if you really stop oh, and think about it. Is that what's going she's on? She's only 28,
0: which is amazing. Right. Is that, is that, is that correct? <coughs> she's so much smarter than I was when I was 28.
1: She's certainly a lot more confident than yeah, I was She's when pretty when I was too. 28
0: or 29, or same thing. So, when I was 29, I was a fucking moron, okay? And no one would ever listen to my opinions on anything in, on the on world stage. Yeah. <laughs> people are listening to her. I mean, she's, she's testifying in front of Congress. I mean, she's... It's very, so, I cut her a lot of slack with some of the things that she's made like, missteps on. And I think sometimes when people say those things, like people should get over slavery, it's, like, it's almost like you're saying things that you think other people want to hear more than you're saying things that are really rational so whether or not we should get over slavery sure slavery was over more than 100 years ago but the repercussions of slavery the echoes of slavery still exist and they exist in all these different southern states and cities and all these different neighborhoods that had been a part of systemic racism where they had literally forced black people to live in certain areas and didn't even allow them to buy homes outside of those areas they made laws and those laws are in place in places like baltimore and you know i had this guy michael wood on who was a uh, police officer in the city of baltimore and one of the more profound things that he said was that they found papers that were documenting crimes from the 1970s in baltimore and they were in the same area the same crimes that he was facing in the 2000s when he was a police officer so he mm-hmm. was looking at this going, what in the fuck? Like, this is, am I just a part of something that's never going to be fixed and never going to be changed? And, you know, as he learned more about the city and the city's laws and how these these systems were set up to keep people in certain places and how the crime and the violence and the drugs is all just in this one concentrated area and it's always been there. And no one does anything to change it. You, yeah. you realize, like, wow, this is a... This is a crazy echo of a horrible past, and that's what it is.
1: I had a couple of conversations that made me recognize how powerful systems and institutions are <laughs> and their ability to maintain themselves regardless of any because it seems like what happened there with the man you were chatting to is that he's an individual woke up and like, Oh my God, hold on a second. I'm yeah. in some sort of weird grid. And like, I spoke to this fellow called Cairn Ross who worked for the British diplomatic service at the time of nine 11 and was privy to confidential information about how that was handled on a military and geopolitical level. And he said like, he's come away from that thinking, well, these institutions function and in a totally corrupt way to pursue their own objectives, disingenuity and dishonesty is just part of the system and it was him that made me think about anarchism in a different way, saying that people, the assumption that people if they were not tightly governed with big government and huge control would go around murdering each other and raping each other, simply not true that's one of the means by which the state continues to justify its existence people will behave better the closer they are to Self-governing community, mm. self-governing community, and this is like, and I was interested in that because he's talking from this is what I saw on the inside, this is how I saw it was running, like your cop friend there, and like uh, another person I spoke to that had been inside a system and then woken up. Uh, within it who was that oh yeah Yanis Varoufakis he was when Greece had that mad revolution he was like one of the leaders of a party Syriza and for a minute it was like Syriza said we ain't paying back all those debts you screwed us financially you screwed Greece so he was there at the EU meetings telling like the German chancellery we're not pay- Greece ain't going to repay those debts and he just said that the way that the system reasserted itself was m- magnificent to watch in a way and he said none of those individuals have any power except the power that that role gives them if if you are the German finance minister, you've got the power that a German finance minister has. You can't step outside it and start going, right, listen, why don't we do this and why don't we do that? The system itself is beyond individual decisions. You know, it's, it's a mm. self-sustaining system. It won't come up with ideas or support ideas that threaten it and that's why I continually keep hearing, and I'm sure you're having similar conversations, that if you are really interested in changing the world, you have to participate in systems that are outside of it. Set up new ideas. Don't worry about trying to smash this one down with a Hammer, it will atrophy on its own as yeah. it becomes less and less relevant.
0: I think also change yourself. And when you change yourself, it becomes evident to the people around you. And if your change is beneficial and attractive, <coughs> people, they gravitate towards that idea that you you can improve yourself and you yeah. can you change the, your perspective on things.
1: Well, that is the one area of your life where you've got some authority and control. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, that is what I'm about. It's like the, well, I can stop myself being like a, 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 watching pornography. I can stop myself using drugs if I want to like, you know, with some support. And that's what th- that, this book here mentors, which I talk about you in only for a paragraph. You know what I mean? It's not too, it's not like a, like literary fellatio. It's a, a small <laughs> nod of your, uh, like of your influence and <coughs> impact. I talk about how we have latent latent qualities within us that are sometimes hard to realize on on without support but if you find a mentor in an area where you're looking to improve they can kind of energize awaken energies within you that on your own you wouldn't be able to use i had a really recent experience of it where i was sort of like freaking out about something i spoke to like a, a mentor of mine and like the way that he sort of spoke to me was like sort of aggressive like a sort of an aggressive that's not gonna happen you are not afraid and like it sort of it woke up the part of me that mm. feels that way that has that kind of i would say sort of uh, male certainty a kind of grounded energy he was able to sort of like direct it at me and like in that moment in myself all bewildered i wasn't able to do it you know Mm. i needed to resource it externally in a moment Hmm. so this is how i sort of feel like your individual journey i'm interested in how because i'm guessing with your background in martial arts and stuff mentorship seems pretty much stitched into that you must continually be looking at someone learning from someone trying to equal them or whatever it is
0: yeah, the good part about that is you get good at learning things. And you get good at listening. You know, uh as a martial arts student, you you don't just listen, you listen very intently, you bow, you say sir. You know, I mean there's uh, there's so much discipline involved in the 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 act of learning. Yeah. And so much reverence and respect for people who know more than you and appreciation. So uh, that that helped me with pretty much everything I ever wanted to learn. I just would listen very intently. I don't think, ah, maybe I could figure it out better. I will, I'm very good at listening to people that are good at things.
1: That's interesting. Did you first get into... Uh, like, you know, I've picked up stuff over the various shows of yours that I've listened to. But w- would you say that your inaugural interest in martial arts came from kind of domestic distress and stuff? Yeah, Were you having a difficult home life and not a good relationship with your stepdad? Am I right in saying? There was
0: that, but it was uh, was also move, moving more than anything. I mean, my stepdad's a nice guy, um, but it was stepdad it's always a weird situation you know
1: no but, one likes the dynamic of someone having sex with their mother i remember <laughs> <laughs> having similar feelings about my own stepdad what he's are they a doing great guy, doing i don't want to like no,
0: paint him in a bad way no. it's just what was really hard was moving a lot and running into bullies that was way harder than anything else
1: so there was a time in your life where you felt very, uh, presumably, vulnerable yes. and not grounded.
0: Didn't have any friends, constantly moving in new neighborhoods, meeting new people. And, uh, you know, and when you're a young boy you're a teenage boy, teenage boys are fucking dangerous. Yeah, man. they're the worst. They're the worst. If you
1: they're- see a group of them now, I'm talking about my country, 13, 14 years old, I'll cross the street. Yeah,
0: They're lawless. Yeah. Well, yeah, young boys are just, they're always looking to impress each other, and they, they they have these... If you want to find real toxic masculinity, it exists in teenage boys. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's, it's mostly exaggerated form. in men. <coughs> the way it's described is mostly exaggerated in terms of the way the media talks about it, but it, in its purest form. In teenage boys, they get together, and they start lighting frogs on fire and doing shit. They do things because they want to, like, one-up each other, and they feed off of each other. Like... What one boy would do is so different than what five boys would do. What five boys would do could be horrific, but what one boy would do on his own is very rarely there. Because, you know, you have to think about yourself and think about, is this right, and you objectively a- analyze the way you're behaving, and like, um, yeah, people wouldn't be proud of me if I did it this way. Mm. But when you're with five other boys, and you're, you're all rambunctious and filled with testosterone and piss and vinegar, you wind up doing crazy things.
1: This is, I, you know, when I hear something like that, it's difficult <clears throat> not to think that it's, of course, relative. Relative to us, the behavior of adolescent mouse is reckless and crazy it's not impossible to conceive of an intelligence that would look at the behavior of adult human beings and think oh my god what are what's governing these people what principles are they using right like what's the end
0: goal too? like what are you trying to accomplish with your
1: life with your existence with your
0: time i think if there's a real concern about ai I think the real concern is AI is going to rationally analyze our behavior and our uh, reliance on emotions and all these human reward systems that we have built in the way it's affecting our society and the way it's affecting how we govern ourselves and how we behave amongst ourselves. And it's going to think we're unfixable. It's going to look at it like, well, this, this, they have too much monkey in them. They have so much monkey instincts and monkey DNA, but now they live in this rational, modern world of you know, 5G internet on your phone and satellite communication and 24-7 news
1: cycle, but yet they have these primate genes. Artificial intelligence, a subject about which I know very little, it seems to me that it will, on some level, have to be derived from a particular aspect of human understanding of Mm. rationalism. So we're representing one aspect of our nature and prioritizing it, logic, uh, organization. But what you refer to as sort of primitive and monkey-ish, for me, it envelops and involves the most beautiful aspects of our nature. I'm a little romantic about human beings still. I still feel that... I feel that one of the great problems we've had is that philosophically we have overvalued materialism, rationalism, and like, you know, knowing a little bit about philosophy, primarily from that bloody podcast that you and I tagged a minute ago before we was recording. Yeah,
0: philosophize this
1: so like what (coughs) uh, what I understand for that is like post enlightenment (coughs) we've started to prioritise rationalism so if you prioritise rationalism and organisation which obviously has a lot to offer the organisation of resources is incredibly and hugely important you forget that a huge part of the human experience is nothing to do with that the other thing we were chatting about before we went live was DMT now no artificial intelligence is going to understand that there is access to a, a realm of consciousness that continually exists that doesn't seem to be bound by physical laws as we understand them. And if the physical laws that we abide by are parochial and relevant only to this level of existence, why are we allowing ideas resourced from there to govern all of our systems? You know, even listen to you talk about DMT and you say, I encountered these gestures, uh, the gestures, I went through this membrane into another realm, and checking out Mike Tyson when he was on here. And, no, no, mm. no, yeah! I love that. That moment was amazing. Um, Like, uh, like, like the, clearly like you know i only i took acid when i was a teenager and even in very unhealthy not unhealthy but bl- unbridled mad teenage boy conditions i you know i want to be there with a guy in a lab coat with a pen going well mr brand sit down look at these raw tests instead of which i am in new cross in a bed sit dropping acid and staring at my own hands and recognizing oh my god i'm not me the very idea of me is a construct i'm just tuned into a particular aspect ai will build systems that are predicated on rationalism, organisation. And and on that basis, I can see why they would at some point, yeah, go all Skynet and annihilate us. But that is... I believe the problem with our society is that the materialistic aspect of our nature is not the priority. It's just one thing we should be doing. Of course, we need good roads. Of course, we need hospitals, schools, food, etc. But we need to find a way of honouring the sacred. And I'm fascinated in the experiences you're having in these psychedelic explorations and how it's influencing the rest of your life. Like how you're saying, like how your how does it influence the rest of your decisions, the way you see the world, the way you see relationships the way you see the vulnerable young man you were prior to building your own, I say, personal religion of martial arts, excellence in your chosen field of stand-up comedy. How do you incorporate that vulnerable kid? Because I'm still very aware of the vulnerable person I was. And, like, I'm going on a rant, man. That's good. um, Like, when Kevin Hart was on here, who I think is amazing, and he was amazing on this, I thought, fucking hell. Like, what have I got to offer the world when Kevin Hart has got this kind of force (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah. you, know, you don't come in the bubble. And, all, and I was like, my God, this guy is so positive. What a role model. What mm. a lot he's got to offer. And then I thought, well, like any of us, what I've got to offer is who I am. Just who I am as mm. a vulnerable, flawed human being that still feels connected to the kid I was when I didn't feel good enough. I still feel that. I can walk in a room and feel that. Yeah. But I also know that that's, that's not real because I've had spiritual experiences, hallucinogenic experiences that make me feel that the relationships we should be building have to honour that we are both we're vulnerable and flawed, but also capable of greatness. There has to be room for all of this, and I feel that part of what we're doing, and part of why we're experiencing such superficial polarity in politics and culture, is because we're not acknowledging that underneath this surface activity of left, right, left, right, and you know from Sam Harris, them little experiments you stick garbage in front of a, someone, they they become Republican pretty quickly, or you you know mm-hmm. you scare people, they become less Democratic. You know, I think all that stuff is pretty superficial, and at depth. In that realm of the jesters and the membrane of psychedelia we have access to oneness and that should be what's influencing the way we set up our tribes our systems and our relationships
0: yeah i think when a guy like kevin hart shows you what a, a positive and motivational uh impact one person can have just with his words and his deeds and the way he lives his life he's so inspirational that you realize uh that, that that is possible that you you can share that energy and that you can have these experiences with people where they literally do actually they actually uplift you like i i was uplifted by his yeah. conversation i felt like wow that guy is so positive what a great way to look at the life that we're we're living and yeah. the more people do that the better and when someone like that does spread a positive message you know, and obviously he's got, he's materialistic as well. He's got a bunch of cars and a big house and he makes a lot of money and he does a lot of movies. But what he's spreading is this very motivational, very positive message. And that affects people in a very positive way too. And all that left right shit and all this, uh, the, the, all the, the battles that we have politically and ideologically back and forth and all the negative venom that people spray at each other. At the end of the day, this it's not benefiting anyone unless you're fighting some major demon that the world needs to conquer. And most of the most of it's not that. Most of it is like finding demons out of innocuous things, you know. Yeah. And I think when you talk about what what you have to offer, what you have to offer is that you are you that you have this unique perspective you you can affect the way people view their own journey in life because you've been so introspective and so aware of your own Pros and cons in terms of your past behavior, your current behavior and who you are now and who you used to be All that stuff is fuel for people because they can relate they hear it I mean, maybe they cannot relate to being a movie star and being this famous guy and this str- But they can relate to the humanity of your struggle They put themselves in your position Like what must that have been like and look at this guy who's made these conscious decisions to not be like that anymore And he dresses like a homeless person with a
1: crazy beard <laughs> that's the real take-home information dress like you live out of doors <laughs> yeah just like you're a homeless guy in oregon <laughs> people, oh, specifically there people will respect that yeah
0: it's like dark colors you
1: know it rains a lot <laughs> yeah yeah, i get it i get the reference i understand american culture joe rogan yeah so um hey can i do some like yeah promotional tell, me activity? tell me what it's called what is this it this book is called mentors and mm. I actually i re- like i read it bits of it again because i knew i was coming here And I think it's actually pretty good. Like, I wrote quite a lot about Brazilian jiu jitsu. (laughs) You really love it, huh? Yeah, I do. My writing is not from a, you'll understand, not from a technical perspective. I'm not saying this is Mm -hmm. what I've got to say on open guard to transition. I'm talking about how the psychological impact that it's had on me and Mm -hmm. also in there about like the protocols of going to a group, which as a beginner are very relevant, like you touched on how ritualized it is. I've got a hunch that the more we emulate and connect to original ways of human behavior, whether that's dietary or hierarchies, or... Organization of groups. I feel that we will feel a sense of greater connection. Now, the, the thing I got from the Gundam BJJ classes, Genesis, where I go in back in England, is like that all the white belts get changed at one end of the room. The purple belts and above get changed at the other end of the room. Which, coincidentally or not, is where the control for the timer is, and the control for the music is, and where the kit is. That's all up that room, so, end of the room. So all the control is that end. but it begins with sort of dance around in a circle doing all of those various exercises now lift your knees now do the shrimping and that kind of stuff it's that a lower belt shouldn't invite a higher belt to spar or roll you know it's and like the as you say the amount of respect the bowing the handshaking at the mm. end of it it's so sort of it provides such a safe environment in which to deal with the primal i can see why it's valuable and it's the, like you know I should have been taught that shit when I was fourteen, thirteen, mm. like as uh, mandatorily, so that I didn't come across it. Like you know, you're not going to be setting fire to fields and allotments and putting frogs on fireworks if you've got a way of dealing with that primal energy. Yeah. When when it's coming, some when it's people happening. that don't
0: understand that think that you should suppress it somehow. You should just ignore it or suppress it. They don't understand that wow. for men, it really for a biological male, it really needs to be tackled head on. I mean, you really you really need to and. In- embrace what it is to be a
1: physical male and it frees you in a lot of ways. Do you think this might be a comparable moment to in the 1960s when there was a sort of a sense of sexual repression versus sexual free love? You know, the images of Woodstock and flowers Mm -hmm. in their hair and smoking joints and having sort of sex outdoors (coughs) in mud or possibly wheat. That that this time of like a kind of an anger about maleness, you know, And, and maleness may not, as you said, it may be a biological male, but it could be the energy of, I don't know, assertion or whatever these like you know as in grammar yeah. male and female relate to certain words as in french grammar where i don't know cat is female and dog is male i don't know the system i don't speak french but i'm saying that these we have labeled these energies and it does seem that uh that there is a particular what do i want to say a condemnation of male energy co- you know. do you think you think it comes from a misunderstanding
0: yeah and i also think it comes from a big generalization too yeah I mean, it's, it's easy to do right and, and if you're a woman who's had negative experiences with men maybe you've dated men that have been physically abusive or maybe you've known men that have been physically abusive and you you're around that and you just uh it's it's very convenient and very easy to just generalize and decide that all men are negative and yeah that m- masculine energy is negative and especially white males. And if you say that, you'll get props online. People go, yes, girl, yes, clap, clap, clap. People get excited. But those are also people that are short-sighted. Like you want to make as many people your ally as you can. You want to make as many people your friend as you can. And you have to understand that there's some people that are just wired different than you. There's some, there's some girly girls. And there's some really feminine men. And then there's some masculine men. And then every, and it, but everybody is okay as long as they respect you and they're kind to each other. But the problem is we associate certain behaviors and characteristics with either negativity or hedonism or uh, a toxic masculinity or someone being a, a bitch as a man. And that's these generalizations are often way more harmful and just it's just too convenient and easy and lazy. Yeah, there is no
1: simple way. And when I think about my own attitudes in this area, there is a degree of complexity because I've got young daughters. I've got a two-year-old... And a one-year-old, right? And they're, you know, daughters. So like, but when the other day, um, because I'm staying in Los Angeles, Gabby, she's Mexican. She used to be, when I first moved out here and lived my entourage lifestyle, she used to look after the house and she used to think, oh, my baby, my baby. She loved me. So, and I'd like, I'll Mm -hmm. take a matriarchal figure wherever I can find one. And Gabby used to look after me. She adored me and stuff. I stayed friends with her. Yesterday, she came around. She bought like a... like, what I can only describe as a bikini for, like, my baby daughter. Like, that what a two-year-old doesn't need, like, a, like right. a bikini-like right. top and i excuse me burping on the mic i like it, it for me i thought like, oh, i don't want to put my daughter in that that's sort of in a way sexualized. sexualizing yeah. the like that child and like so and also a lot of the time like with my daughter i don't like with my wife particularly with our first child i'm like don't dress her up in little dresses and stuff because she won't be able to like run around and i thought oh, my god i'm not that's not that different from like the, the cliche of a male parent that wanted a son and I didn't want a son or you know in particular I love this kid I love this Mm -hmm. kid you know it doesn't mean I love having a daughter adore her but like I am aware that these things of like dress a child this way, dress a girl this way, are constructs further to what we were talking about again before about Michel Foucault. We got a lot done before we went live, man. Like when we were talking <laughs> about Michel Foucault, what he exposes a lot is that there are and uh, Deleuze, Gilles Deleuze, is that a lot of things that we take for granted as being normal are actually constructs. And when I say a child's bikini, I think there's no reason for any child of any sex or gender to be wearing a bloody bikini. Right. So a child with tits is a terrible idea for, for all but a very small and terrifying percentage of the population so like that is an example of the external feminization of a child like so when there's an argument a feminist argument of you know gender is a construct i can see oh yeah to a point it is there is there are constructs you can't like my opinion is you can't argue with biology chromosomes are doing what they're doing in the physical realm yeah. But like uh, I, you know, like being a father to a daughter has made me feel like I don't obviously, and I know you have daughters or at least a daughter, uh, three, three daughters. Like like I'm certainly very aware of, I don't want to push them down some culturally prescribed avenue, whether it's about their dress, their sexuality or anything. So I've got, you know, where do I, where am I on that dial, you know?
0: Yeah, you got to just not put any pressure on them. And let them enjoy their life, and let them find their path. That's that's what's weird, right? It's like I see people, they're, you know, they're getting their their daughters to dress very, very feminine little mini skirts and stuff and they're five years old and high heel shoes i've seen little kids with high heel shoes it was very strange to me i don't like it
1: yeah what well, so you know but for me that is being sourced from like can't we can extrapolate yeah. that to well, then why should a 20 year old woman wear high heels i mean i've read cultural analysis i'm sure you have of like well the lipstick is to emphasize the lips because it's mm-hmm. redolent of the vagina the high heels is to make a woman seem more vulnerable and to accentuate as aspects of body shape now this Mm -hmm. can be you know seen as evidence of the influence of patriarchy you know there's loads of areas where i feel like why are we looking for shit to argue about in this area we're just human beings most of us the most important people in our life of the uh, of the different gender or sex to us you know why are we looking for arguments but i can you can see the influence of cultural forces that are you know not neutral Yeah, you certainly can. But I think it should be up to the choice
0: of the person once they're an adult. The real problem is putting pressure on them to dress one way or another and not letting them find their place. But if a woman becomes, you know, whatever age you decide and she wants to wear high heels and a skirt because she likes the way it looks, like there's nothing wrong with that either. No. The demonization of sexuality is also a problem. You know? Yes. It is... Almost as much of a problem as people who will prey upon vulnerable people. the the peep, people mm. people that think there's something wrong with being sexually attractive or something wrong with being desirable or wanting to be desirable. There's nothing wrong with that either. And that kind of suppression, the suppression of the, these feelings that you have and this desire that you have, is very unhealthy as well. It's a normal thing to want to be sexual. It's a yeah. normal thing to want to look good. If a girl looks good in a skirt, a skirt and high heels, and she Likes to dress like that. Who the fuck is anyone to say there's anything wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with it It's if that's what she likes that's fine, which isn't what's interesting to me is Particularly um, in really progressive ideology They look down upon women who wear short skirts and high heels and a lot of makeup and you know open tops that show their boobs because they think that it's – they're playing into the patriarchy or that they're somehow or another falling into these gender traps. Hmm. But yet they celebrate that in transgender people. Hmm. They celebrate that in trans – men that transition to women and then they, they, they really doll it up. Then they're like, you go, girl. Then they're celebrating the fact that this person is embracing these traditional aspects of womanhood. Like, you see that a lot with you know people that
1: are celebrating trans women.
0: So th- I find it very fascinating the
1: aesthetics of uh, the sort of what would be perhaps could be referred to as sexualized dress, mm-hmm. or like a, I suppose in males expressive, or garish clothing, jewellery, tattoos. In I understand in British culture that these are often indicators of class. That like that it's typically the lower down the clo- class structure you are, the more likely you are to dress in a way that is exhibitive. Or like you know, women mm. from a blue collar background dress in ways that are exposing and revealing. Men have leery cars and lots of tattoos and jewelry. Right. Expressive ways of demonstrating wealth. The higher you go up the class, the more subtle, the more dressed down. Yeah. You no know, labels, all that sort of stuff. You know. So in British culture, there's a different system of like a different s- system for referencing it. I wonder how that works in American culture with its sort of like its evident and much discussed racial divisions. Like certain things. Uh, it, it seems like a su- subtle way of condemning particular types of womanhood that may not just be sourced from dress this way for the male gaze. It can also be a way of saying dressing that way is an indication of a lower class background or of a particular type of ethnicity. Difficult there to there say could be sure. that,
0: but there's also the reality of males and females is there's a lot of fucking jealous people. And there's a lot of women that just don't have the type of physical body that looks good in a short skirt with high heels and you know a, a low-cut shirt and They don't like when they see it in other women because they don't they're not comfortable with their own bodies There that there's a reality of that. I mean women get as much or more hate from women as they ever do from men and uh, particularly if women find you to be too uh overtly sexual with the way you dress or behave that you're you're you know you're damaging male female relationships you're damaging the dynamic particular office dynamics if there's one girl in the office that likes to tramp it up you know and she's uh and all the guys are paying attention to her women will get mad at her
1: i um did an interview a while ago where i sort of talked about like parenting our kids me and my wife how we parent our kids and i said like uh you know, it goes. Oh, I have to be honest. My wife is much the more dominant parent. She's much more practical than I am, right? And like stuff that got that got like really negatively written about. People said like I like, go, oh, she changes more diapers than I do and stuff, right? Not like, like not like I don't change diapers or whatever. It's just my wife. You know, regardless of our respective sexes, is the more efficient dominant parent. She's much more likely with like with me if my daughter goes. I want that chocolate. The answer from me is, oh, you're yeah, right. You know, like, like, I can't bear to see the the resistance, the emotional explosion. I concede much too early. I tap out very quickly with, <laughs> with my two-year-old. My wife is much more, no, let's play the long game. Let's bring up a child that's not governed mm-hmm. by impulses like you. And I spoke, in fact, to that Gabor Mate, that expert on addiction. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. And he says, because of your own anxiety and pain from your own childhood, with no disrespect to my magnificent parents, uh, like, you can't handle seeing your kid suffer, so you like straight away, you bail and do what she wants and stuff. Now, the like, so. There's so much complexity in the reality of our personal little domestic relationship, and I'm certainly not saying and everyone else should run their household in that manner as well. And so <laughs> help me God, any man that changes it, up. you know. But the way it's reported is like that's what happens. I think in modern media is they change what you say, then you have to defend what they said you said, and you go, yeah. well, that ain't what I meant. I'd like you know, I'm not saying that, that because my wife is a woman, she should take more domestic. You know, I'm just saying that in our household, she seems to have a set of attributes and characteristics that make her uh, take control of that aspect of parenting and it's like the the desire to judge condemn and object is pr- the priority as opposed yeah. to you know no one's looking to go on oh, you know, who cares or what you know
0: well, it's also that they're doing it publicly. So they're doing it most – I mean, if you're you're either reading comments or you're reading articles. And if you're reading articles, they're just looking for something to be upset about. they watch you, and they'll say, okay, is this a viable target? Yes, we got confirmation. What he said about changing diapers or his wife being a better parent – is a viable target? Let's go after him. And then they just formulate some bullshit argument about who you really are, based on what might have been a throwaway or a concession to your wife, or even just a compliment to your it wife or compliment. being self-deprecating that to is yourself. What it was. Yeah, but that it was doesn't. People, are not, they're not looking at things rationally. They're just looking at targets. P- particularly people that write articles. You know, what's the best article? It's got to be negative. Like one of the things that came out of all this uh, Facebook algorithm stuff. Is you find out that Facebook realized somewhere early on that the way to encourage engagement is to get people upset. They they get way more engaged and they go back and forth and and interact with these posts way more if they're upset than they do if they agree with it. If they agree with it, they might give it a like or a thumbs up and say, "Hey, that's great," and that's it. That's where it ends. But if you know. Someone's talking about, you know, we shouldn't build the wall. We should let everyone in. And you put that on some fucking Trump guy's page. And they, ah, it's crazy. I mean, you will get thousands and thousands and thousands of interactions. Mm. And so Facebook realized that the way to keep people, and, you know, they could claim that that it's an algorithm. And the Mm -hmm. algorithm just supports whatever the people are really interested in. But what they're interested in
1: is conflict. That demonstrates my earlier point, which I made up on the spot, that AI <laughs> is not a neutral thing. It is right. resourced from human perspectives, and because that is a type of AI, you know, For not, now. As, not yeah. as complex as like what we're going to experience, and I can't even imagine. But what I'm saying is, is it's still... uh, What I want to say resourced from a human from a human perspective and yes of course we are evolved to respond more strongly to negativity than positivity for loads of reasons and I think that's where we can stitch back to what we were saying about taking personal responsibility for who you are like that none of us have to sit on social media going fuck you fuck you, <laughs> you know, right. like none of us have to do that we can try and resolve those I, I respect that some people don't have a, any other outlets they don't have the privileges I have of being able to go to support groups where people openly talk about this is the ways that I felt inferior today this is the ways that I'm trying to become a better man and a better father and a better co-worker you know like a lot of people aren't afforded those environments and probably the best shot they got is having a go at someone online and those people you know in a way deserve love and sympathy but until we, on some level, recognize that we can alter our own behaviors, we can alter our own consciousness, I don't don't see how there's going to be well at least then we can create a terrain upon which a better better systems can start to flourish do you read comments no I actually like (laughs) (laughs) like I'm too sensitive I can just about manage to listen to people's replies to my conversation like you know like sort of like yeah I don't go on to like I have like I work with someone who does my social media and like she gives me stuff like here I'll respond to these things put some output and that because I I don't. Uh, I don't want to engage with that. I don't yeah. want to like walk up and down any street, knocking on the door, going, "Do you like me? Do you like me? Do right. you like me?" Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to deal with people's responses in various conditions. Well, it's also much like
0: the articles. The way people get a response out of you, or the way that people to get your reaction, is to say something really negative. You mm. know, you'll, you look at some. Sometimes when people are not that savvy when it comes to social media, one things that one of the things that you'll notice is they'll interact. And I've been guilty of this in the past. Before I sort of realized what I was doing, you would only respond to negative things. Like people are arguing with people. M- meanwhile, people are saying nice things to you, and you <laughs> ignore them. Yeah, it's because you don't. You don't. You, at a certain level, you don't have the physical time. It doesn't exist to respond to everyone. It's not possible. There's no. If you get thirteen thousand comments on one of your posts how the fuck does anyone have time to respond to thirteen thousand people you can't and then you have email and you have twitter and facebook and instagram and just there's no way it's there's not enough time in this world so,
1: so, so you would personally would have responded to things that caused the more visceral yeah, if i saw
0: someone saying something that was untrue i'd be like fuck you that's untrue. but then i realized like what do you why like yeah. what are you doing like you this is a new thing for people. There's never been a time where people have had this instantaneous interaction with people, unfiltered, unmoderated, globally. Yeah. I mean, it's very strange to, to be able to do that and to be able to go back and forth and just just to be able to give your comments on things, to be able to talk about things. It's very addictive to people.
1: Yeah, that's right. And that's why I'm very cautious with it. I have to sort of set yeah. my life out like I'm essentially a monk in a marriage that's mm. basically where I live. Get up, meditate, do yoga, do exercises, do things that are positive for you, watch the way that you're thinking. I'm interested in where, again, in with your own, do you feel, uh, connected to the person you were as an adolescent Do you notice it in your own parenting do you notice it in the type of choices you make because the image i have of you from the outside is like that you have literally built something for yourself you operate within it and you are quite protected and you are independent and not forced to deal with too many negative outside influences but in unavoidable dynamics that are necessary dynamics like uh you know as a father and dealing with colleagues and stuff like that do you experience a lot of tension anxiety what 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 has happened to that guy do you feel that you have transcended that because i do in my own life feel like yeah I've, i'm not the adolescent boy i was i've like you know i've learned from that and i still in a very sort of cod psychological way you know when i'm doing uh hibiro that's the G- bjj classes i'm doing over here with mm-hmm. uh, professor ricardo Wilk. he's an amazing guy like what wh- when i'm when i'm doing those classes i have a A sense of fathering my child self, of like, Mm. you know, because I weren't doing those kind of things when I was a kid. I'm like, it's all right, Russell, we're just in a BJJ class, just relax. (laughs) Don't need to panic, (laughs) don't need to impress anybody, right? Just do the, if you don't know, just ask. I've got a voice in myself. Because I chatted to Tony Robbins, you know, he's like another obviously high achieving guy who I admire and respect a great deal. And, like, you know, when he talks, he does, like, these cold plunges. And he says, before I get in that plunge, go, you're getting in that fucking plunge. Like, he talks, my God, I don't talk to myself. Like, I'm like, right, Russell, we're going to get in the cold plunge. Are we Are going to relax? You know, like, yeah. I have to talk to myself gently. What are you doing with that aspect of yourself? Do you still have a relationship with it? How is it, like, when you're doing all these psychedelic, cosmonautic explorations of the psyche, are you not encountering aspects of yourself that are un, uh, if undeveloped, unaddressed?
0: There's always going to be unaddressed and undeveloped aspects of yourself, but I'm very, very very, very different to who I was when I was a young boy. I mean, um, I'm I'm not 100% self-actualized. I don't think anybody is. But I'm just a totally different human being. I remember it, but I remember it with humor. Like, I remember it and I laugh. I'm like, wow, so silly. I was so weird back then. And, uh, you know, with life experience and developing Confidence and understanding of who you are and why you had those feelings and why you were insecure and why you had so much self-doubt Martial arts helped me with that, with that tremendously because it was the first thing that I ever did where I didn't feel like a loser mm. It's like the first thing that I ever did where people like respected me and they liked me for it You know, I'm like wow, this is like something It was a feeling that I was completely unused to in the 14 previous years of my life all of a sudden there was this this feeling that I was unusual. I was unique. I was special. Wow. Yeah. I was appreciated. You were good at it quick. Yeah. I was, I had a natural inclination towards it and I was obsessed with it. So I was obsessed with it. So I was training every day, all day long. And then my instructor recognized it really early on. So he uh, allowed me to train there for free and just, I would teach classes and teaching classes helped me a lot as well because when you're teaching, you're breaking down techniques and you're, you know, you, when you're showing someone how to do it, you're really cementing those pathways in your own mind.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That must be an important step on the road to mastery. I see that clip where Eddie Bravo gave you your black belt and you were very moved by that. Like, so for me that like moments like that, it must connect you to the beginning of the journey Yeah, that does Yeah,
0: for sure And it's still You know, the, the journey of jiu-jitsu Is a fascinating one Because unless you're someone Who's, you know A Salu Hibero Or a John-Jacques Machado Or just a, a true master Who's dedicated their entire life to it The journey's so long it's so long. It's like if you're a guy who runs, you like to run, I like to run a mile three or four days a week, no big deal. But then, you know, your next door neighbor an ultra marathon runner is preparing for the, the Moab 240 where he's going to run 240 miles. You're just, you're never going to catch up the same amount of times. And you should always defer to that person when you have questions about running. And that's how it is with jujitsu. Like, is you know, yeah, I'm a black belt, but I'm not a black belt like John Jock Machado is a black belt. Is a, there's levels to even to that. So I always have questions. So the journey is never over. It's always long. There's always a, a better way to get out of an arm bar or a better way to set up a triangle or whatever it is. There's the, 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 One of the beautiful things about Jitsu is that it's so complex. There's so many variables. There's so many situations and interactions and exchanges and entries and defenses and and, and way to chain moves together and the, the correct way to set something up two, three steps ahead – To know that if you grab the lapel this way, the guy's gonna try to shake it off that way, and that exposes this, which exposes that, and then the next defense will expose this, and then you keep going and going and going and going until you get them. It's so beautiful to watch
1: that because it's like as if there's a pre-existing net or grid of interrelated signs that will work together. And like as a white belt, I've got three stripes now. I was like so I was thanks. I was really hoping that by the time I came back on here. I'd have a blue belt and I'd be closing in on it. I'm really. really How often you training? I'm training three times a week privates and I'm attending two classes and what I've done that's is, great thanks a lot and what's a significant step for me is like now in the classes when I'm sparring people I don't try just in the handshake to manipulate them into going easy <laughs> <laughs> I was like god you look so lovely today <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right off we go then <laughs> <laughs> will you try to manipulate people yeah like just a subtle gesture or something yeah, like that right right <laughs> just right just try them. to take it easy on me <laughs> <laughs> come on
0: don't hurt me come on look do you uh, avoid big people? People.
1: Yeah, sometimes like I try and stay down that white belt end of the room, but like mm-hmm. now the more I do it, like the more they coax me up there. Great yeah. big giant men, like uh like there's a guy that go, like the sort of ones up our like the hard end of purple belt and above, Dave, uh Paul Busby, and like there's people like their hands and their feet look different to my hands and feet as different than uh, their hands and feet are as different from mine as mine are to my daughters right and i feel like how am i supposed to ever yeah. do anything with these people like hard water like drowning in hard water the way they move and <laughs> fold around me I'm like, oh, what, what, like I just feel, what am i supposed to do and my breathing goes yeah. like, but the thing is with other white belts is that uh what I feel is like there is my ego comes back in because yeah. there's I feel like no I should be getting something the first time I got choked out by another white belt I, like, <laughs> I, was, I felt like I went into a room I'd not been in since I was 16 getting my head kicked in in bus stops you know and stuff like this so I felt like I was quiet for 24 hours just sitting and reflecting on oh shit and I had to speak to other <laughs> people like yeah, this is a combat sport <laughs> this happens you're going to experience right right so it doesn't mean I'm a bad person <laughs> <laughs> that I've failed no no you're going have to get used to that yeah, if you're gonna you get doing used this. to
0: humiliation you get used to defeat but it's it's that humbling is very good for you you know I' been mean, I, I don't know how many times I've been tapped out in my life but it's probably more than a thousand probably yeah. probably thousands you
1: know and that, uh, the, yeah and there are uh, you sit there while I tell you about jujitsu and the other <laughs> and the other thing that's been good about it is like when it is the other way like I remember like a guy that was a big guy on top of me and like I was, he, I, he was in mount right mm-hmm. and I, like he wasn't actually applying a submission but there's just the sheer discomfort of having someone there their body their sweat their hair <laughs> their abdomen their reproductive organs their digestive system feces in their bowel uh, on top of me. I just nearly tapped out of that. But then he went to move to get an armbar. I thought, hang on a second. There's a moment. And I managed to escape from that. And like the amount of energy that that released. I was like, fuck you. Justice.
2: <laughs> 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 now I win.
1: <laughs>
2: Justice.
0: <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it's very man. satisfying feeling. It's also very satisfying to... To defend against something that someone used to catch you with. Like, say if someone's really good at taking your back yeah. and they choked you a couple times, and then one time they take your back, but you defend and you get out. You're like, I got out. Yes. Like, oh, there's an escape. I can make this. I'm getting better.
1: I love being in the cave, that mental space, because what my technique was, oh, I'm not good at that, never bother trying. I'm not yeah. good at that kind of stuff, never bother trying. So for me, at this stage in my life, to go and do something that I'm not good at, that's with other men, that's competitive, that involves so much vulnerability, and, uh, failure, and learning, I'm thinking, well, you've, you're growing. You've got to be growing, because you're doing stuff that you never would have done before. Even turning up at a new place, like I'm doing here in LA, and making those new relationships, and doing that you know it's amazing for me another thing i into is the integrity of it right because chris clear a uh, uh, black belt under hodger gracie right in uk my teacher like if he gave me a blue belt, that would look good, man. It would be videoed. It would. I would tweet it. <laughs> it would be everywhere. Oh, Russell Brand got a blue belt. This shit must yeah. work. But no, he doesn't do it out of integrity and respect for that. You know, it means more to him yes. evidently than a sim- the act of kindness. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, so like, it, what is nice to belong to something that has protected and valuable systems. He did say to me, "You keep going by the end of the year." Blue belt, I think, but like uh, you know, it's not dished out. Like it's yes. nice to know that there's some kind of order, a, a, an area where celebrity, manipulation, charm, mm. human, none of those things, all redundant, all redundant.
0: No, in jujitsu, it's very protected. Anyone that gives out a bad belt, it's very bad for their integrity. It's the 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 school would lose face so badly in the community, and you meet someone who's uh, a Hicks and Gracie brown belt. That motherfucker is a Hicks and Gracie brown belt. He's as legit as they get. They don't uh-huh. get any more legit. Like, if you got to that point of Hicks and Gracie gives you a brown belt, it's just, it's irrefutable. And that's how it should be. And it's a beautiful thing about the art form is that it has this self-correcting sort of aspect to it that when you roll, when you spar with each other, it your ability or lack of is exposed and there's no other way around it. Yeah. That's
1: good to not avoid that. Yeah, it's good no, not to avoid gotta, that reality. Gotta,
0: but you'll be better, you know. You're you're a fit guy, you're a healthy guy if you just keep going, get off that fucking vegan diet
1: and keep going. I watched no. the documentary <laughs> um, called "What the Health." Have you seen yeah, it? Like, yeah, it's filled with a lot of propaganda. And ah, nonsense. propaganda! Damn, those guys again, like the Nazis.
0: I remember well, them. It, it's they used a lot of discredited studies, and the, there's a lot of epidemiology studies that'll connect things. That epidemiology? Just, does that what does that mean? Like an epidemic? Well, or you could, no, we could pull up what the actual.
1: It's about time Jamie pulled something up epidemiology, in this episode, but
0: the way I would describe it is, they would do these studies, and essentially it would be they would they would ask you what you eat on a daily basis how often do you eat meat how and it's basically a survey and in in that survey they would say well there's a direct correlation between people that eat meat and diabetes so mm. let's pull up the definition oh i see but the problem is what is causing here a branch of medicine which deals with incidence distribution and possible control of diseases and other factors relating to health mm. um so when they're when they're dealing with incidents right they're dealing with uh, how often do you eat red meat how often do you eat this how often do you eat that and then they find Oh, well, there's more instances of diabetes in people that eat meat. Okay. But is it people that eat meat and vegetables, or is it people that eat meat and vegetables and Diet Coke mm. and, and sugary sodas mm. and ice cream and French fries? And how are they eating their meat? Are they eating cheeseburgers for some bullshit fast food place, or are they eating grass fed steak? I are they see. eating grass fed steak and, and vegetables? And there's very little evidence that shows there's anything wrong with eating meat if you follow a normal, healthy, what they would call a primal diet, Yeah. meaning cut out all the grains, cut out all the sugar, cut out all the bullshit, eat vegetables and meat. And there's almost nothing. I mean, unless you have some very unusual, rare condition where you're either allergic to meat or you have some uh, very strange uh, digestive system where you find you have allergies to it or you have real problems digesting it, or you have real problems with high cholesterol foods, which is very rare as well. Most of what you're getting is vegan propaganda, people that want other people to be convinced that the way that they're living is the correct way and that eating meat is is physically bad for you, and is causing all these harms. What's causing all the harm for people physically is the modern American diet, and that's been pretty right. established.
1: Yes, that's right. And th- there are clear ethical reasons to be vegan in that it takes you out of the exploitation of animals. But that documentary, yes. What the Health, that I watched, was like you know, and I've been vegetarian for years, and this like, and I've gone back and forth to veganism because I feel God, Jesus Christ, man, there's enough things in my life I'm not doing without not being. I have an egg. Without feeling but guilty you can have pasture-raised
0: eggs. eggs if you get them from a good farm. the The chickens are just hanging out. I got man.
1: chickens in my garden. I'm yeah. not confident in these animals and the Why? way they break. Well, one by one, slowly, my dogs eliminating oh, the gift I've of life. Few, <laughs> <laughs> I've had that a few times. <laughs>
3: Terrible feeling. I lost
1: nine of them to coyotes
0: just last month. Maybe two months ago. That's a pretty heavy. It was, it was a death heavy toll. toll. Yeah. Well, we had a fire out here, and the chicken coop burnt down. We got a smaller chicken coop, and the coyotes figured out how to get into it when we weren't home, and we came home to just feathers everywhere. It was disgusting. Ah, oh, it's brutal. That they're, they're brutal little monsters, those coyotes. Yeah, yeah. But, they're you know ungovernable. They're the reason why we don't have rats everywhere too.
1: All right, so yeah, yeah. Hey, it's the circle of life. The yeah. Lion King was right. So, like, hey, though. um The thing about that vegan documentary, mate, is that it it tuned in to my pre-existing belief when it said stuff like, oh, the Diabetes Association, they are funded by these meat and dairy organisations and these pharmaceutical companies. The cancer uh, organisation similarly accepts donations from these organisations. And it made me... Like, my pre-existing idea that I come to it with is, you know, like that whole pyramid of these are the things you should eat. Bread, mm-hmm. milk, like, you know, it just were the things that it was easy to and cheap to produce yeah, and that were right.
0: profitable. Well, um, they used to think that. They really did used to think that bread and grains were the most important thing. Do you think they felt that? I think they did. I think they thought it was it was filling, and it provided energy, and I don't think they understood. Well, there was no talk of gluten intolerance when we were young. It didn't exist. No, and there was I mean, no was understanding of excess carbs, and how excess carbs leads to excess body weight, and it makes, it makes you store fat. People didn't think about it that way. They didn't understand. There, there was... The thing about nutrition is that nutrition science is a, it's a body of knowledge that's constantly added to.
1: Yeah, and in fact, perhaps most things are. Who knows what misapprehensions and ignorance we toil under yeah. that will be revealed to us. Do you do any uh, – I feel like I've heard you talk about ho- hormone stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do what, hormone re- replacement therapy. What type of things? Testosterone and human growth hormone. So you have to give yourself a jab in the ass? Yeah, you get in the
1: thigh. Thigh, You won't yeah, do the arse out of can. simple pride. No, it doesn't matter. I'm not it's going just, near that. That's it's... for Mrs. Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't touch that. Your
0: thigh's right there. It's easy to grab. When you're right. reaching back to putting your ass, it's just like an awkward little
1: thing. <laughs> Too vulnerable. Um, yeah, but they also have... Um, you're taking like so. You're taking growth hormone. Mm-hmm, yeah. You not noticed any negative side effects or no. instability. well, You have to get
0: your blood monitored. You know when you when you're doing something like that. This is, this is also if you're a person that has addictive problems, addiction problems, which I don't necessarily have them as much with substances. What do you have them with? Um, Uh, Well, you saw with video games when you got here the video game problem that I have Yeah, you
1: frantic you emerged out of that
0: dark room you and your pals
1: Sweaty (laughs) and pie-eyed and baffled by the real world it's very fun
0: too Um, Martial arts, I've been addicted to martial arts I've been addicted to playing pool I get addicted to uh, getting good at things I get very addicted to things If there's something that I get obsessed with like jujitsu or whatever it is I get obsessed and that's all I think about all day long I just had, I just, you know, it's not healthy but with um, hormones, you want to make sure that you don't overdose yourself. You want to make sure that you stay within a very narrow range where you're, you know, you're, you have what are the healthy levels of uh, a person that's in their, you know, late 20s. Right. That's, that's really what you want. You don't want to have hyperhuman levels, which some people do do.
1: Hyperhuman You're going to create
0: An odd ecosystem Well you're fucking up Your body man You're just Jolting yourself With all this extra shit What are you about to take Sweet
1: lady thyroid Is that part of your system
0: Yeah I have um, I take armor thyroid It's actually made From pig's thyroids What do you mean
1: Pig's thyroids now Yeah Hold on What's happened to the pig Dead dead They're long gone They're not sort of Struggling with a lack of thyroid Teetering about All emasculated well, this is like so. Yeah, I'm interested in this hormone stuff. I'm interested in that. But you know, me, I've got to be very, very like cautious mm-hmm. about mood altering yes. stuff.
0: Yeah. But uh, if you have uh, the exercise regimen that you're talking
1: about, I don't think you're gonna have. Gotta get with that, that blue belt. I'm gonna do what it takes, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Bring me the pig It'll help I'll you. suck that th- thyroid out of it directly. You should eat
0: eggs, though, man. You really should. You should eat, you should eat some animal protein without... I mean, if you oppose uh, the moral aspect of killing an animal, which I totally understand and appreciate, and that's what led me to become a hunter in the first place, is that I was really uncomfortable watching these animal rights videos of uh, factory farming. I thought it was disgusting. I was like, I don't want to participate in this. Yeah, it's reprehensible. Hunting is a different thing, man. To me, hunting is this intense... It's very spiritual in a way. Mm. I mean, people don't get it because they see you celebrating when it's over because it's very, very, very difficult to close in on a wild animal. What are you hunting? Mostly elk. Well, elk's my favorite for two reasons. One, it's very delicious, super nutritious. Also, if I shoot one elk, I can eat it for like eight months. What you do? Like freezing them, salting yeah, them, yeah, yeah, freezing them, freezing
1: them. <laughs> so you're out stalking an elk on yeah. the plains. Yeah, where are you? Like near where you live? You just go Utah. out. Utah do you travel on bikes travel. or something? How do you no. follow you them?
0: Can, uh, yeah, we well do travel on bikes if you're uh, whitetail hunt. A lot of times you'll go into the woods with bikes because they don't leave a scent the way your feet do. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, animals don't associate the sound of a bike the way they associate it with like the sound of stepping bipedal. Hominids wow. stepping towards Wow, They've evolved, them. right? Uh oh, yeah. bipedal. Yeah, they see you on a bike. They don't even freak out as much. Delightful. Never seen that like, before. what's that? What oh, my brain. What are these things?
1: Yeah. 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 So elk, are they like herd animals? So you just yes. see like a herd of yeah.
0: them. Yeah. Yeah, you see a herd of them and you try to figure out which way the wind's blowing and you try to get close to them. Is this a video of us?
1: Yeah, this is oh, a video wow. of us from. Uh, what a beautiful place. Oh, I mean, I can see the Utah harmony of nature. Yeah, oh so my that's God. an elk. Now, the thing is with me, I see that elk there. And yeah. I sort of feel like a sort of I've watched too much Disney. Yeah. Um, you know, like I see that elk, and I feel like I'm Bambi, literally. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, like I don't have it, it. Like is that early in the morning? You look yeah tired. I'm not tired. Might you know. be late
0: afternoon actually. Can the, you tell? I think from that was this? late afternoon. Yeah.
1: Like say so, like I, I from that position, I couldn't br- like I would love the game mm. of. Being able to... Because I mean, actually, I've had to go down gun ranges. It turns out I'm a pretty good shot. You know, it's mm-hmm. nice to see that thing come back with, like, holes around its abdomen and its head. Right. And I think, satisfied there. <laughs> yeah, you've been dealt with, paper man. But, but, like, the elk, I couldn't... I've got too much empathy mm-hmm. in me that I, like, I couldn't deal with the feeling of... After it was yeah. shot, I like it like almost thinking about it the sentimentality of it. I've sentimentalized it now You know at least I don't eat meat and stuff like that So it's not like I have all those feelings of but can handle it in a packaged portioned off way Yeah, it's just I feel too much like oh that creature So what in your head when you're doing it when you're pulling the trigger, you're not having what's going on in your mind Well,
0: you you only are hunting these mature animals that have already passed on their genes you also are recognizing that if you're not killing these things they're not it's not like they're going to live forever they, right they are they live a short life a short life with a very violent death it's either wolves or mountain lions or bears or something's going to take them out yeah and what you're doing is essentially dipping your toe into the natural world mm. and i've heard the argument that well this is ridiculous cuz everyone can't do that you know if everyone went out and hunted all the animals there would be no animals left which is true but um, I'm not everyone, and yeah. so I don't, you know. You can't I mean, really use that if everyone did it. argument. It's a good argument because you, you, if you're encouraging people to hunt, it is kind of a good argument because it's not realistic. It's not sustainable. But the other thing to recognize is that the reason why most of this wildlife exists in the first place, a lot of it was wiped out in the early um, 20th century from um, what they call market hunting. In the late late 19th century, early 20th century, um, they you know, they didn't have refrigeration and, uh, it was hard to get food and we didn't have the same sort of large scale agriculture that we have today. And so when someone would want meat, they would, uh, somebody would either have to hunt it for you and you would go to the market and and get that hunted food or uh, you would go out and do it yourself. Mm. And they basically wiped out most of the wildlife in North America to the point of extinction. Whitetail, deer, elk, they've been extirpated from the majority of their range in North America and only been replaced in a a few other places. But the places where they've been replaced, it's all through money that was generated through hunting tags, all through billions and billions of dollars. There's a thing called the uh, Robertson-Pickman, I think that's what it's called, Act Act, where uh, 10%, if you buy hunting gear and equipment, 10% of that money goes to habitat restoration, um, d- b- b- making sure that uh, rangers and forest people get funded, so there's, uh, mm. the fish and game department gets funded, and, all, and also population conservation. Making sure that the populations are healthy, repopulating certain areas with elk and deer and this has all been done through the money that's generated through hunting
1: yeah i can see that there's a looking at my own feelings towards it i can see that there's a potentially i'm bringing a sentimentality to the idea of animals that's like anthropomorphic yes like i'm like oh you can't kill that it what about it's babies Mm -hmm. you know i mean like i'm thinking about things like that um but what i you know i live in a rural area in britain where like hunting is normal and i wouldn't and agriculture is normal and i wouldn't get very far if i was sort of like you can't shoot those pheasants look at their feathers they're beautiful you know Mm -hmm. i mean like it wouldn't it's not a helpful attitude so whilst i like record like in myself i couldn't do that because like i don't it messes me up on a sort of a feels like a very sort of deep visceral level like you know like but i feel that this is precisely the kind of territory where we have to look at acknowledging and tolerating difference between us. This is where I feel like the sort of these ossified, polarized positions between right and left are starting to take root. Because if someone like me who don't eat meat don't eat animal products and wouldn't hunt for ethical reasons starts trying to impose on other people now you shouldn't hunt because of this that have you not watched bambi you know like that's going to mean that people aren't able to explore who they are Mm -hmm. Uh, and so my per i've let go of judging people around things that i don't agree with because i reckon i don't know everything you know yeah. what i mean i'm this this is like this is about my morality is about how i behave and if people said to me i'm thinking about going hunting i'd go well these are my feelings about it however though i just heard that hunting does contribute apparently to the survival of some species and there is an argument that it's quite natural and indigenous and it's probably a way of getting in- contact with who we are originally as hunting people it's an important part of our anthropological history and possibly a lot of the condemnation of hunting is part of the rejection of who we used to be as we become overly civilised and more and more Mm. detached from what it is to be human whether that's sacred or pragmatic we don't know what human beings are anymore we reject our own sexuality we reject our own bodies we reject you know we're trying to turn ourselves into these sort of cyborgs these emotionless sexless mean Meaningless creatures mm. where is our passion where is our connection with the sacred they would go hold on i only asked you about hunting when are you <laughs> going to stop talking <laughs> never you gave me an in i will pummel you with my belief system on all things like yeah. you know like so i don't feel like that ain't where i get into judging people um but like uh, i'm interested as well with this i keep bringing up the subject of dmt uh like what <sighs> I guess what I, I want to know about is like, because I'm, you know, obviously a person in recovery. I don't drink, I don't take drugs, haven't done for a, a, a long time. And I recognize for certain people that, that, that they, they can't do it safely. Psychedelics and hallucinogens it seem to me exist in a realm outside of that because they're not about, they're not pleasure seeking. Right. There's like, seem to me like it's a spiritual portal. However, I'm a crafty bastard when it comes to this stuff and I'm always looking for an in. You know, when I see your. Cannabis treasure trove over there. Mm. I mean, that is some, um, yeah, as you said, like Raiders of the Lost Ark stuff. And I'm holding in my hand now the CBD rich cannabis soft gels, clasping yeah. it. You know, so like, I'm fascinated. so worried that that is a gateway that CBD, which is not
0: necessarily psychoactive, as long as it's, not psychoactive it's not, but it does help you with anxiety. It helps oh. a lot of people because it alleviates a lot of uh, inflammation, which tends to have uh, a corresponding impact
1: on, on your anxiety. Hold on, so this says here 11 milligrams of THC. Does that mean, I mean... it says THC? It does say that at the bottom. It's probably right? a one-to-one. Is this Maybe. a
3: one-to-one? Might be. Or it's like an 18-to-one.
1: Or 11. It says there's an 11 uh, and a one. Yeah, there's a
3: couple of different ones in that box. Oh, I give you I almost gave you the wrong one. Joe, oh, what's next? Christ. Christ you read. Sake, a bag
1: of smack. <laughs> Don't take that. <laughs> this one goes Don't back in... Don't take this one. This one's way more powerful. That's really? one-to-one. Yeah, that's well, you do one. seem, seem very relaxed and free yes. from anxiety. Oh, great. I will say that. Um, but like, so like... Uh, what I suppose I'm interested in because I, look listen I'm meditating the whole like, I meditate mm. a lot I'm doing all these things I'm experiencing transcendent right. states I'm experiencing what it's like to yeah. not feel attached to my identity as Russell who are you before you are Russell who are you before you identify uh, yourself as a man in England who are you who is the person who is the consciousness who is the awareness now when I listen to say Terence McKenna talking about his experiences in psychedelia at such length and with such lucidity and with so many philosophical connotations and the way that he uses the information he's getting from hallucinogenic um, experiences to speculate on how we should organise society, what it, what the implications are for freedom. His refusal to accept that there are certain kind of experiences that should be prohibited, that it's ridiculous that adults should be prevented from having that. I, I'm fascinated, but I'm also, I suppose, part of my bias is I love anything that gets me out of my head. I feel a tremendous sense of relief, whether it's through meditation or even sport uh, the, or sex. Being relieved of the burden of the constantly thinking mind. But when I hear like those um, vivid ex- uh, descriptions of DMT realm or ayahuasca realm, I think something in me hungers for that, hungers for it.
0: Do and you I- worry that you're trying to get intoxicated? you worry that you're you're trying to find a loophole.
1: Yeah, cuz I am doing that. I'm loop yeah. I'm looking for a loophole. It's like I'm going around uh, like a sort of a trash lawyer looking for some yeah. way that I could get into this. Is there hold on a second. What about a this Trash gloss? lawyer,
0: that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, uh I know people that have problems with addiction that have done psychedelics and didn't have a problem. But I'm sure some people have had problems and I don't know about them. DMT is interesting in that, first of all, it's very quick. The experience is only about 15 minutes, 20 minutes max. And it's also, it's not necessary, it's not an intoxicant in the way that you would think about traditionally. You are still you in in the face of this experience. And I think, <clears throat> I think it's some sort of a chemical gateway. Mm. That's what I think. I think there's a gateway in your mind that can lead to some other dimension that's probably there all the time.
1: If there is a... Uh omnipresent continually existing realm that human beings aren't accessing because of the particular biochemical formulation of consciousness as it is in this point in our evolution and that we can get there and it seems as like you know i've heard terence mckenna say it's more real you know it's more real there's stuff in there yes you know and Excuse me. And when he talks about them <laughs> beings, you know, like that he describes as self dribbling basketballs, creating yeah. like Faberge egg, like, yeah. you know, v- v- devices through vibration. And I they're didn't telling see you that. to do it. I never
0: saw it. Th- I want
1: He's that. He's called
0: the machine elves. He's called them all sorts of different things. The way I've described them is uh, they're the geometric patterns made out of love and understanding. They seem like
1: so you read you can look at a geometrical pattern and read meaning into it. it had an emotional quality They're made out of something
0: and they move they change like they don't stay what they are They're constantly evolving in front of you into something more and more beautiful. It's very weird. What
1: did it make you feel? Like I knew nothing
0: that was the most profound aspect like all of this stuff that you concentrate on every day is nonsense and there is some other thing that's connected that's probably influencing this world Yeah, and it's probably what, what people see when they have near death experiences the depictions of the afterlife I mean that's probably what it all is
1: and religious experiences yeah. and when prophets mm-hmm. are talking about oh my god I went into this realm sure. there's these beings they've told me we're all one we well, have scholars, to love each other
0: scholars in Jerusalem are connecting Moses' experience. With the burning bush to the acacia tree The acacia tree which is rich in DMT The burning bush is what God was to Moses And that through this burning bush he came out with these Ten commandments of how people should live Their lives I mean that easily Could have been just A very convoluted
1: sort of translation of a dmt trip certainly and also when you think of certainly there are archetypal images that seem to be repeated throughout ancient cultures Mm -hmm. and archaic stories that seem to refer to the potential for plant experiences to affect consciousness even the garden of eden do not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge otherwise you will become as gods Mm -hmm. you know like i sense that now if if there is some realm that we can reach through that experience that se- that puts into perspective everything that else we experience on the material realm, and that thing seems to, in your words, be emanating love and understanding while ever-changing, completely formless and communicating love and understanding, it, for, I can't help but think that that should become our priority, to have a relationship with that realm yes. and to... Pr- bring about that experience i don't even mean in a literal way because even terence mckenna said there are some people vulnerable souls he was probably referring to people like me that probably shouldn't mess around with that kind I think of he stuff was
0: really talking about people with schizophrenia or right. people that, which he believed he had by the way did he yeah he he, he had some very unique uh perspectives on schizophrenia. And, the the way people interact with the world itself. I think if we lived in a healthy world, uh, a healthy civilization that had a healthy relationship with psychoactive substances, we'd probably have centers where you would have a legitimate shaman, a medical advisor, and someone would take you through uh, a guided experience. We're doing that now with uh, ketamine. There's a lot of people that are very depressed that are having uh, these Physician-controlled ketamine experiences That have had a profound effect On uh, their depression My friend Neil Brendan's gone through several of them and, he, he was the, and he's a comedian A very funny comedian So when he was describing it, it was hilarious oh, He was yeah? going to a doctor's office and tripping his fucking balls off you know, and the doctor's shooting him up with intramuscular ketamine. Oh, my God. Yeah, and he's having these insane... I go, so you're having psychedelic experiences. He's like,
1: oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: he's he describing it was really funny. Um, I mean, tripping his fucking balls off in these whatever states that ketamine... I've never experienced ketamine. I don't know what it does. But it's apparently profoundly uh, hallucinogenic. And you have these wild, crazy experiences on it. And... For whatever reason, it has uh, a great impact on depression for a lot of people. I think it's a perspective enhancer, but it also does something
1: to rewire the mind. Well, what some of this suggests is that mental illness is a response to our material conditions. Whether yes. that m- whether that mental illness is schizophrenia, depression, or yeah. addiction, it's like sure. it's, like people are going, oh, hang on a minute, this isn't how we're supposed to live. I took that ketamine one time towards the end of my using, and it, as usual, it's not in the right type of environment. You shouldn't be doing stuff like that in a nightclub. You need to be under that shamanic conditions white coat guy or whatever whoever you nominate as a shaman but I felt like it was like going into a tunnel made of sound and like Mm. having to navigate I was like oh shit I'm still in reality what am I going to do is it (laughs) as my sort of consciousness becomes a noise instead of a string of words and signs how am I going to get out of this place you know so like for me it's clear that drugs were never meant to be recreational in fact they never were I was like I was never hey man this is crazy I was always like I'm in fucking pain I need some shit to help me out yeah. otherwise i'm gonna probably kill myself yeah you know so like it was a, w- a way of holding that stuff at arm's length so i guess my renewed curiosity around dmt and Iowa ayahu- and ayahuasca and other sort of plant medicines and like you know that do you know daniel pinchbeck yeah. and like them guys that are sort of part of that i'm curious about it because i guess i'm continually trying to find a way where someone go right here's a way where we can do it where it's sort of safe and i've heard of other people in recovery doing it but when i think about what my motivation is is when i hear people talking about and my own and my own and my own recollections of experiencing what felt like God and by God I mean a sense of oneness and that my individual identity isn't my real identity and I'm connected to everything and love is the most important thing you know I I want a real experience of that so that when I'm out in the world I can remember when I'm driving or when I'm dealing with people or if I'm buying something or if I'm feeling inferior or feeling superior that like you said this is bullshit this is like a secondary reality don't let it govern you you know as a someone that's been seduced by fame a person like if, if I get this part in this film then everyone's gonna Love me. Oh, if this stand up set goes well, you know, like a person that's placed all of my well being outside of myself, the certain knowledge that there is an inner connection that will take care of you, that's accessible. I guess I'm, you know, hungry. To sort of mm-hmm. feel it in a way that's like, oh, my God, now there is no doubt. So, in a sense, it's a, a crisis of faith. But not a there's crisis some of faith psychedelic
0: states faith. that you could achieve without uh, taking anything. I mean, you could certainly get there um, in a flotation tank. You, mm. could, you could get there through holotropic breathing. Um, I've never done kundalini yoga but apparently the people that get really deep into kundalini yoga can literally have dmt trips yes. i know f- i have friends that have done dmt and have experienced dmt trips through kundalini yeah. but you have to be really dedicated i mean there's a lot of time a lot, yeah. a lot of time and a lot of energy and you have to really understand the, the the methods and and follow them to a t and you can achieve these altered states of consciousness that are apparently you know, not from my personal experience, but from what people tell me, p- incredibly profound.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had comparable things, I guess, that what it's, you know, the difference between feeling something that's that overwhelming that gives you no choice. Yes. You know, like, this, like, it's not like, you know, Kundalini, you've got to do these breaths correctly, you've got to sit there, you've got to try it again. Have and you again. done it? Yeah, I've done quite a bit Have of you Kundalini. Tripped? Well what for me it felt like what i felt quite a lot yogically and meditatively is a cessation of what i would call my individual consciousness like oh i'm not this this isn't who i am this is just a temporary experience and all of the value systems of our world are built upon these primal drives in collaboration with a culture that likes to stratify people and manage people and operates like a massive farm where it's easier to keep people together operating in these kind of ways yeah. systemically i've sort of felt rushes of that like a certain wordless clarity if you can imagine me having anything that was wordless even for a moment and like and in that space you know there is there is great peace. So I suppose get like what's turning me on about the like the DMT and ayahuasca thing is that the way it's narrativized that, that you're going to meet characters and stuff like that, and it's and mm. it's going to be plain and beyond doubt. You know, because I suppose what prophets do, you know, like whether it, you know when a prophet returns from the whether it's the burning bush or the cave, they come back and they say all this stuff that you're taking seriously is not real. There's this other realm. Start prioritising it or you are going to live in hell on earth you're going to be governed by your materialistic drives your sexual drives and it's going to imprison you and it turns out that they're right and so like you know i suppose what i'm after because i'm partly you know on a super like on one level influenced by what you're doing and how you've created your own like you create your own business and your own success like this this symbiosis of stand-up and the podcast and like it's become like a sort of a lifestyle brand in a sense joe like you know i'm sort of like yeah i don't I don't want to be continually dragged into these colla- like working within institutions like, you know, I, I'm over here doing a bloody um, doing ballers and I'm bloody glad to be over here doing ballers and working with the rock. And I've got a funny story about that if you want it okay. uh, like, <laughs> like, uh, like uh, um, but like, uh, you know, like really what interests me is like, can I be and de- can I dedicate my life to humorously communicating spiritual information and indeed starting to live it. So, like, and I suppose what that would mean is, you know, I'm getting better, Like, I'm not a person who's obsessed with porn or sex or drugs or whatever. Like, you know, to become it, to mm-hmm. become what you actually are, to recognize that we're all different. Your perfect realization of you is going to involve hunting and all of these things that you've created through your gift. And that my perfect version of me is going to, you know, involve all of this. And not everyone needs to build sort of empires or entertainment industries or whatever, but all of us are on some journey to self-actualization and realization as individual as our fingerprints and as natural as a seed turning into a tree and if we don't have a way of accessing that no wonder we're dissatisfied no wonder we t- there's an opioid epidemic no wonder people are bored and angry and lonely well i think what you can do is be yourself, and what you can do is
0: express yourself, and what you can do is constantly seek to improve and grow. And you are doing those things. So if you're saying, "Can I do these things? Can I be comedic and spiritual?" and well, you're doing it, right? So, so it can be done. So it's don't, you're doing it. You know, it's all just a matter of what, whether or not you're satisfied with your progress and where you are and who
1: you are and how you express yourself. So your pursuit for excellence, when you're saying, "I've got to get better at BJJ or archery mm-hmm. or hunting or whatever," that isn't coupled with a sort of sense because you're not fucking good enough. So no. that's the that's the, no, the deal that I've got. There's wonderment. Yeah, I love it.
0: <laughs> joy. That's yeah, so there's cool. There's joy in it and there's enthusiasm. I mean in everything. Mm. And archery in particular, it's very you know, there's that book Zen and the Art of Archery, which is uh it's an interesting book. Uh it's you know, I mean I think there's some real great points to it. But that state of mind that you get when you release an arrow, and that arrow perfectly finds its mark, really is Zen. Oh. It's, you're, it requires so much concentration and focus and technique that you really don't think about other things. Beautiful. And it's cleansing in a lot of ways. It's mind cleansing. I find jiu to be very similar in that way, too, that it's so all-encompassing. It's so There's so much on the line. It's so difficult to do. That while it's happening, you're freeing your mind up. I mean, I think of video games in the same way. All of these things
1: suggest—that's yeah, bizarre. But like, yeah. we're, we're, it, all of those things suggest a transmission between the inner and outer world, yes. isn't it? You're looking at the bullseye. And then, oh, my God, I've mm-hmm. made this thing traverse time and space. Or BJJ, I've been shown again and again how to execute this triangle, and I've just actually done it against resistance. It's uh, uh, amazing to yeah. feel that. It's amazing yeah. to feel that, that that your inner life can express itself in the material world, whatever well, wherever you're looking to explore that.
0: And to l- test yourself. And when you test yourself and you have to figure your way through something or change the path because the path you were on was unsuccessful when you're doing that it's it's really good for the mind and for the i, I don't i hesitate to say the spirit because i think that word spirituality is so beaten down and,
1: and abused you know what do you mean it it's become a, commodified
0: yeah it's like yeah it's like when people call themselves a healer I'm like are you really yeah i've just done really some healing healer? on the way yeah. here <laughs> <laughs> just healed that guy. We're, we're all healing um i mean we really are all healing each other but um I think there's something to doing difficult tasks that it makes life easier. I really believe that. I think it makes life more enjoyable. I think it makes the bright colors brighter, and and, and it makes the the dull colors, even them, even the the bad moments. If you have real positive experiences with difficult things that you choose to do on your own, I think it mitigates most of the hassle of
1: life. Yes, I agree with that. That is, again, and I'm not particularly promoting this book because I'd like... uh I'm all right with however things do, but the point of this mentorship is the idea that someone will exhibit qualities yeah. that you recognise you don't, haven't fully realised in yourself, and that you can sort of model them and realise them because latently yeah. you have those qualities. Oh, like Kevin Hart. We were talking about how right. admirable I find his positivity. It to made be, me so think you, so real. It's unbelievable. On a practical level, I thought yeah. the way he's building his stand-up. That guy's mm-hmm. fucking diligent, and the amount that yeah. like, when he talked through his when he talked through his work schedule. You quite you fetishise hard working men i think i've yes. heard you talk about dwayne johnson mm-hmm. and kevin hart yeah like, the, like you like the idea of men i'm up at those people i'm up at two i'm in the cryo chamber i don't
0: do that though i sleep in <laughs> i can't do, you, do you? Well, you, like, a started. lot of things that they don't do like i but i also you know unlike uh the rock at least i do stand up i mean kevin does stand up too obviously i don't know if he does it as much or as often as i do but because I, I do the clubs i have a philosophy about what's required to develop great stand-up, that you have to do a lot of sets. You have to do a lot of numbers, a lot of different places, different environments, and I found that out the hard way through my best performances and my less good performances, like what was missing and what did I gain?
1: You, like, this uh, I think is a sort of an interesting debate. Uh, it, you know, I don't know if it's in stand-up world at large, but it's certainly something I've thought about a lot, is like that as soon as I was able to have an audience that would come and see me, I was like, I'm out thank you God <laughs> like, you know, like, I'm not putting myself through that shit ever again Doug Stanhope feels the same way by the way Does he's he? one of the best yeah, ever yeah he's amazing yeah. he's absolutely fantastic I completely agree and like because I, I thought like because what I feel like is that the comedy club environment warps your material because you've got a appeal to them and I think you ain't the fucking arbiters of truth you drunk crazy 2am <laughs> motherfuckers like, like, so I get like I perform I'll, what I'll do is like and what I'm doing to say at the moment is I'll book the UCB like a, or like places 100 200 or go Largo or put on events and I'm doing events while I'm in LA because I think oh these people come and they love me <laughs> and they bring me beads and they f- <laughs> here's some vegan cookies oh, and you got
0: to come to the comedy store man and go on after Joey Diaz
1: fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like I like a nurturing environment again in there I mean because I've done that yeah. I've done those fucking clubs mm-hmm. and like you know and even comedy. Store and late at night comedy store in LA, you right. know, as well as London, and I feel like, oh Jesus, thank God! And after, so like, I'm interested. To you, that's part of that. What I think some people could reductively refer to as machismo in you, like that you go, no, I'm going in there. I'm- well, you know what it is. It's
0: that guy that mounted you and went for the armbar, and you escaped. Right, it's worth it because it was hard. Like, you realize if, you, if a child got on top of you and went for an armbar and you escaped, you'd feel nothing. <laughs> so when you're at Largo, you're you're performing for children. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing child stand-up. Oh, no. It's like you're wrestling with 100-pound women who just started yesterday. It's like the
1: Make-A-Wish Foundation. <laughs> Go on, Russell, then. Tell us your stories. Yes. Well, if you noticed. Amazing. Oh, you're wonderful. We You've brought done you flowers. So well. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, children. But but like, look, the counter-argument to that yes. is therefore I am in an environment that is sympathetic and mm-hmm. it is my audience sure. and I'm not biasing I what you know the idea of overcoming a greater obstacle I completely appreciate what you're saying but say you believe in the purity of stand-up as being some real expression of yourself as in the arrow hitting the bull'seye mm-hmm. I feel like I have a vision of what I'm trying to achieve and increasingly it's becoming about I want my stand-up I want to hang on you know like as I've always done stories where I feel embarrassed and humiliated but i want to hang off it ruminations on what i believe to be the nature of truth and i want people to come out of those things feeling loved validated accepted and that they're good enough and that they can explore Mm. themselves you know that's
0: more of a one-man show
1: in a sense it's that yeah. But I don't want to Like sacrifice the laughs do you know what I mean I love the laughs The laughs What uh, is where we're at You know that's But you a don't given. have to
0: Sacrifice in a one man show I mean you can certainly Do a one man show That'd be really funny
1: But say you start going Into Yeah that's what I'm doing And I'm sort of like I'm trying to build things Like around 12 steps And trying mm-hmm. to out, Like doing things That people have Some takeaway value yeah. from Now like you know Like trying to develop That after Joey Diaz In the store It's <laughs> not gonna happen <laughs> There's
0: gonna be Some well, resistance You're you aware of Hannah Gadsby And the controversy yeah, this what do you think about that? I haven't seen it. Yeah, nor, nor I still I actually, say I'm, I'm gonna see it, but because
1: what the end of comedy and all that kind that's, of thing.
0: That's silly, it's no end of comedy. But she, what she's doing, people like. And there's what nothing is it? wrong, I don't know.
1: You call it whatever you want.
0: Sometimes it's funny. I mean, maybe it's stand up comedy. Sometimes maybe it's more version. It and of they tell me towards comedy. the end
1: it like become a sort of quite aggressive towards the audience. Like, yeah. Like, it became like a TED talk
0: almost, I guess, apparently.
1: I'm interested in you know, that's you know, yeah, there's enough room for everyone to exp- yeah. to do whatever they're doing. But like, see at the beginning of my uh, let's call it career, like I I used to not prepare at all. I was still drinking and using. I'd go up on stage, I'd chop shit up, I'd get into confrontation like I when I say chop shit up, I'd tch- Take up animals, shit, part animal parts that I'd got from butchers, like like a skull with all meat and stuff and sinew on it. Chop it up for, right, and they would just release locusts, get into confrontations and like, so yeah, exactly. The reaction you're having is the reaction they were having. Like so, some of the front row, would, I had like uh, fights. I've got scars on my body from bad stand-up gigs from a time where I got into a confrontation. Like I was making a point about pedophilia, saying, oh, we're right. all one cultural mind, so when a particular pedophile has transgressed against a child, we're all responsible. People are like what the fuck? <laughs> and I, yeah, and like, so I, a massive shit, I got the shit kicked out. Well, that time, you know, I've still got the scar on my leg that happened in Edinburgh in Scotland. People didn't take it well. You know, <laughs> like, like so, but what I was trying to do was like create. I didn't have the skills, the chops, the experience, the mm-hmm. jokes. So I was yeah. so under equipped. But like what I was trying to do was create environments that felt. You know, I'm much better at doing that now. I can create that kind of an uncertainty in a room, a kind of a sense of chaos and what's happening, and then bring it back I hope to a a humorous conclusion where people feel safe and amused and all of that kind of stuff now I think it's You you can't like because I did try and do that in comedy clubs and yeah it was conversation it's not what people want so don't you think that by prepping your stand up in those uh, environments that it biases you towards a type of stand up comedy that is is limited?
0: No, because you can do that other stuff too. You could always perform to your crowd and you could always expand on things to your crowd, but to really put it together without any fluff. (laughs) <laughs> without any nonsense yeah. without being self-indulgent mm. with respecting the attention span of the audience that may or may not even be there to see you yeah. most likely is not if you go to a comedy club and there's a a large you know if you go to the comedy store at any night of the week there's 15 plus people on the marquee or on the the list and the show starts at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. depending on the night and it goes to 2 o'clock in the morning and you know you catch waves in there and there's different types of comedy and in that you're you're going to deal with sometimes tired audiences sometimes enthusiastic people it's all different it varies widely and I think that um in doing that, you cut all the nonsense out of your act and you, you develop mm. economy of words. You understand mm. how to captivate people's attention and keep them engaged and to respect their time, respect their point of view, respect that these people have an attention span. They want to be engaged in, in the best possible way that you can do it. And sometimes you develop that. Through these really difficult sets, or you know, distracted people and drunks and all that stuff, you can develop that those qualities. You're always going to have your crowd, and what your crowd. I mean, if you have this this vision of how you want to put things together, you can put that kind of thing together at a comedy club. You're doing it in these 15 minute chunks. You just have to figure out a way to grab them
1: and and make them
0: really interested in what you have to say.
1: You're right because there's obviously in like the comedy store between the hours you just. just described there's a contract we're here not we ain't here to see you we're here to mm-hmm. uh, laugh every 15 seconds and like you know comics like you know like robin williams or Chappelle's the the you know the all-time greats they went they go in and accept those conditions yeah. and like, you know you've seen stuff i'm sure like of robin williams he's just like walking around in the crowd in that very room yeah. do it's like he's like he's doing the thing i'm talking about and he's doing it there yeah you know, that's when you think yeah if like i suppose i do get at that, that you're road testing it to a you, it's durability to an incredible degree if you can pull it off there yeah.
0: yeah well think about every time you're saying something when you're, you have a subject like say if you want to do uh, you want to talk about the mentors that you have in life mm. there's it's an open-ended approach you have no idea what the correct way to say something is. You try it. You ha- you write it out. You say, this seems feasible. Let me try it this way. And oftentimes people never correct it or they never they never adjust it. They never go back and improve it. Mm. They just say it in a certain way and figure out how to do it. When you're doing it in front of a crowd, you're developing these things while also feeling the way people are reacting to them and feeling their attention span. And it makes you, with Proper reflection and truly objective listening to your material, it makes you change and shift and adjust things, hopefully in a positive way. And the more you do Mm. it, the more you get a sense
1: of maybe this is clunky here and maybe I figure out a better way to say it and... I agree. You know? But the counter argument could be that it could bias you to a sort of a lowest common denominator area. Say with that bit where you talk about the sun and, you know, it's, you know, it, you need it. It's trying mm-hmm. to kill you. It gives you cancer. Right. You know, like something like I, what was the journey of that bit of stand up? Is like, like For me, it's like, oh, I think of a thought. I try and make sure there's a tag so I know where I'm going when yeah. I'm out there. Yeah and then it's a comparable process to yours you're trying to your best to get rid of fluff or whatever yeah. so can you recall like what it's like you know are you night after night going in with new bits of material packaged within th- things that you're a little more confident in yeah
0: and i, I put that bit on a special I, I can do it better now i know a better way to do it and just, that's part of the problem with doing bits it's like sometimes you release them on a special you have a better version of it now My point of that was to a perspective enhancer, to let people know that bit was about, like, understand what's happening here. You are literally floating in infinity, Mm. and it's almost never discussed. (laughs) You're hurling through forever. There's a fireball in the sky. It's a million times bigger than Earth. If you stare at it, you'll go blind. It's trying to give you cancer, and if it's not there, you get sad. Yeah. You live in a dream. Like, this is madness. Your life is madness. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is. But I wanted... I, there's something about that particular way of exp- see because I figured out a way to express it short, in short doses and short bursts. If you know, if, if you stare at it, you'll go blind. Mm. It's trying to give you cancer, and if it's not there, you get sad. Mm. So in th- mm. that short burst, like it's you know, like wow, yeah, that is all. All those things are true. Like this yes. is crazy. There really is a fireball floating in the sky. And we're just used to it. We <laughs> live because of a floating million times bigger than the Earth fireball. And I, I, when you say – if you can say something like that and make someone laugh, you can actually change the way they look at things. You can actually affect, at least, the way they look at things. If you just say something, sometimes it's profound. Sometimes it registers. But if you can say something and it forces someone to laugh, even if they disagree with you, if they're laughing, they're like, I don't even fucking agree with this, but holy shit, this is funny. You put that thought deep into someone's head and I you agree. allow them to – Think about your thought process and and how your creative process and what you're doing to sort of bring these things out.
1: Yes, I like the way you describe the architecture of that. You've got to basically have these are some facts about the sun that are irrefutable. Now, here is how that affects the way we look at the world and exposes to us that we're just ignorant we're not awake to reality we can't hold reality in our minds because it's too vast yeah. to handle i am like it and i agree with you that, that you know that with laughter comes access to kind of deeper truths and i've heard some uh, therapists in fact say that uh, like that laughter is to shame what grief is to sadness that laughter is helping to expel shame and to process shame that is something very important about people coming together and laughing together Uh, And I I like to exist comedically in a world where it starts from a deeply personal perspective and admissions and acknowledgements of humiliation and shame and vulnerability and travels out to the universal and hopefully archetypal that you can sort of travel between those points a comedian that I think we both admire Bill Hicks what I think is fascinating is because like you know like if you've loved bill hicks for a, a long while then you discover man that guy worked material a lot you know like yeah. you go oh, i watched this interview of him on the australian tv he's doing like a bit that i've seen him do mm-hmm. you know in multiple incarnations but i have also seen him do interviews where he's spontaneously talking about gigs terrible yeah. gigs that have gone badly and he is hilarious but it's very interesting to me and perhaps it's because of that background and that practice of doing clubs that hicks is very much a comedian that's no i'm drilling this fucking thing and yeah. i'm staying with it
0: no he was a writer i mean he he did ad-lib and he did he was capable of going on these rants spontaneous rants but he was a writer you know he wrote these things out and he was aiming to have an impact with his commentary Mm. I mean that was what was was he was doing it was not just trying to make you laugh he was aiming to enhance your your perspective whatever he was talking about
1: yeah and as a it was seems very disciplined as a practitioner of it whereas like say a chappelle it feels like he's just going (laughs) like an hour
0: well you know he's got a very unique process chappelle does and he can turn over an hour like no one i've ever seen before and i was talking to donnell Rongs about it recently who you know was on the chappelle show with him he's like we both agreed like he's the best ever at turning over a new hour he can have a new he could release a netflix special and then have a new hour within a couple of weeks. Yeah. It doesn't even make sense. I don't, I don't understand how he's doing it. It must just flood <laughs> in. It's, it's <laughs> he's just, he's in a great space, you know? He's in a great mindset to do comedy. You know, if, if you pay attention to how, you know, when, when people study, like if you read Outliers, um, and you read how people, when people study why people are great at what they do, and what makes them exceptional, there's always a variety of factors. And whatever the factors are with Dave, he's got this easygoing personality, this like very carefully carefree way of looking at things. He's also gone through a lot of bullshit in his career with, you know, the the leaving the Chappelle show and, you know, the, abandoning 50 million dollars and going to Africa and really understanding what, what his real motivation were. He was caught up in that world where they were trying to change him and commercialize his television show. And he handled it. As good as anybody that's ever handled it
3: yeah he
0: he handled fame and temptation i think better than anyone i've ever heard of he just said fuck you (laughs) and he just went away he went away and then didn't do gigs for years people don't understand he would show up and do stand-up places but he wouldn't book anything so like he wasn't getting paid he was just he did stand up dave chappelle did stand up in the park in seattle he brought like a little amplifier and a microphone set up And just started doing stand-up, and people just gathered around.
3: Hmm. And
0: he did this just to sort of get him back in touch with his roots, because he used to do a lot of street performing in New York, and I saw him do uh, street performing in Montreal. We did a club, and then we came out of the club, and Dave, I think Dave was like 18 or 19 at the time, just started doing stand-up on the street and put his hat out, and people would put money in his hat. I mean, he was uh, constantly sharpening that sword. And he stopped doing stand-up for a long time in terms of, like, booking gigs. And then after a while, I said, fuck it, I'm going to come back again. And then he started doing these gigantic gigs. And then, of course, he did his two recent uh, Netflix specials were amongst his best work ever. And, Mm. you know, and now he's he's working all the time. He's constantly popping into the comedy store and the comedy cellar and all these different clubs all across the country and constantly doing stand-up. And yeah, No that. social media. Does not not involved in any of that stuff. Doesn't do anything. Just to per, just performs. Just does his stuff
1: yeah that's interesting when you, it's like I I feel that some people have like found their essence and found their path and live it yeah. like and like they you know that the like they're a yogi or a priest or something that's right but he's just got a devotional this is who I am I'm not yeah. doing anything that's yeah. not that and yeah, it yeah that's exhibited even in earlier stuff prior to the cry that the, you know what you would just, you know the crisis of the 50 million walk away thing like by then if he was at 18 doing them clubs he was Hardened. Like yeah. he, what that what seemed so loose on stage was something that had been refined. That's a person who's comfortable and Yeah, pivot. he was
0: always good. He was good when I first met him when he was like eighteen. I think he was eighteen, I was twenty one, so it was somewhere in that range. Maybe I was a little older, maybe he was uh maybe it was like how old's Dave? 47 I think he's five years younger than me. Is that correct? Forty six or forty seven? 45 mm. okay so he's more so he's six years six years younger than me so you know i was probably 25 and he was probably 18 ish 25 26 18 17 but he was um he was so like calm and like he was very like was you were attracted to listening to him it was like like look at this guy. Like this guy's like so comfortable in his own skin and so friendly and easygoing and hilarious. But who he was then and then who he became is all the work that he put in. You know, mm. it's like he had this base of this really you know, this curious young, very wise person who saw things that other people didn't see in the world, and then he just kept going and just kept going. And then of course the Chappelle Show, which is in my opinion, the greatest sketch comedy show of all time, even though it was only two seasons. It's the best ever. And then after that, I mean, he's basically just done stand up and done it completely outside of the system. He's done some parts in movies and shit like that, but for the most part, what he's doing is just stand up. Mm-hmm. Completely outside of the Hollywood system. Completely free. Just goes up, you know, just talks some shit, has a couple of drinks, laughs, and. And 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 it's incredibly compelling. He's found his groove, you know, and that's it's a beautiful thing to watch as a fellow stand-up comedy practitioner when someone he, he achieves this mastery level. Like, you know, we were talking about like this Hicks and Gracie of stand-up comedy level because that's where he's at right now.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Become who you are, yeah, isn't it? He's, be- yeah. he's become himself.
0: And he doesn't have things that are getting in the way of that. You know, that's what's really interesting. Like, you don't see him... He's like, he's not on social media. He's not on anything, Twitter or Facebook. He's not on any of that shit. He doesn't pay attention to any of it. He's just just being a person, just being a person and doing stand-up, you know? It's, uh, and he doesn't have to, which is unique, too. You know, he doesn't have to promote things. They just sell
1: out yeah what an amazing example yeah. what an amazing example mm-hmm. I've got to promote some things oh what do you got <laughs> the book mentors, <laughs> Russell Brand's book, mentors. I've, re- I've really learned some powerful lessons there from the story that, <laughs> of uh, the apotheosis of comedy that Dave Chappelle's achieved here's these obligations now I'm, I'm booked here to promote Luminary my podcast has gone behind oh, a, play- okay. a, a paywall on a platform called Luminary aiming to be the Netflix of podcasts meaning yeah. like the you know your model will, I imagine, triumph further. So, like from like this week, my podcast will be on Luminary as part of their premium content. It's an app through which you'll get all podcasts. But my podcast is like you've got to subscribe is that to that now? thing.
0: That's launched because I know couple that, of that days. was. Yeah, I know that was in the process of being created. Are you happy with that so far? Because well, it,
1: it's not launched, I don't know. Oh, but right. you know, you know, like that you're going to leave listeners behind because mm-hmm. it's gone behind a paywall. But I spoke to sort of like Sam Harris about like what well, Sam Harris actually gave, told me about it. I me spoke, too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And I spoke to like and. What I recognised is because, like, the advertising model works it, obviously in your case, and I thought, wow, like, it was like a good deal. It was a good deal. I meant, oh, I can carry on doing podcasts for mm-hmm. two, three years. That's you know what this, you know, it's, and it's supporting a lot of other content and uh, essentially not yielding any creative control. If people just if people subscribe, they get the premium content, my stuff. How much, It was
0: like only like five bucks a month, it's right? Like that. Yeah, And you get
1: like. Trevor Noah, L- Lena Alive. Dunham, mine. How uh, many
0: different podcasts? I don't know. Are there? I think
1: like in their premium content, there's like forty or fifty premium podcast, like you know, pieces of content. Mm-hmm. So like, so for me, I thought like you know, it felt like otherwise, podcasts wouldn't be something that I could continue to do forever. I would every you know, I because I do films or TV shows or stand up or whatever. Right. It felt like a different, like you know, it, it for me, it wasn't a, a viable thing to pay for you know right. like to pay for people to run it to pay for guests to even get to me and all of that kind yeah. of stuff you know no no which, do you do ads on your podcast with it i did before but after this right. it's an ad-free model like that's then, there's
0: a benefit to that for sure you know and a lot of people choose to go ad-free and then they use patreon or something like that for yeah listener supported stuff sam harris was doing that for a long time but then he they had an issue with patreon about certain censorship of certain individuals and certain ideological perspectives where they were you know leaning towards left wing things and you know being being restrictive towards right wing things and then mm. you know they policing the way people behave outside of patreon and some people found that objectionable so he left and Some other people left, like Jordan Peterson left, and Ah. I've never entered into Patreon, into those waters. But uh, I know Burr does it. I think Burr has like one a week that he does, doesn't? Oh, Bill Burr's
1: one, really? Yeah,
0: yeah, he's astonishing. He's one of the
1: best. Yeah, so like, uh, but like, I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like it's an all right thing to do. But even in. like, just with using things like YouTube and social media and, you know, like Spotify, iTunes or whatever. Like, you know, as we have seen, there's a point where there is sort of censorship is a possibility. Mm -hmm. Like, as you discussed on the Jack... Like, that run of episodes, mate, as I said to you by text, between the Jack Dorsey, the reaction to that, your response to the reaction through Alex Jones and all that. important. I thought that was a spate of podcasts that's like, this is where this medium can be. Mm. The Alex Jones podcast, I thought... was the Godfather. Of podcasts. We've we seen the... Cur-
3: it was on, is that... Is that hit the I was yeah. going to put it out tomorrow. He just gave it to me. So right, like, we'll put we it we're, we were Do watching it right we now. We can watch it right now. now. You want to watch it online? Yeah, we
0: okay. have a guy who's <laughs> hilarious. His name is Pauly Toon. <laughs> and Pauly Toon makes uh, animated clips for us oh, of wicked. the podcast. And he's fantastic. I and he believe did that. one of the Alex Jones, Eddie Bravo uh, incident. Yeah. <laughs> the choking. And, uh, yeah, yeah, well, they were... Well, no, not when he's asking him to choke him here. The Flat Earth. No, this one... the <laughs> it's so, so ridiculous. Here, we'll play it for you. Oh, here. What's on. going on? Cut off. What's the matter? My audio cut off oh, okay. Reason. Back it up for the beginning there. It was an exception. It even looks content. like a- him. <laughs> here we go. The guy does awesome artwork, too. Hey,
2: listen, we're going to get to this next, and I, I respect you. Hey, pushing. I want you
0: guys to yell at each other for three minutes while I go pee.
2: I got to pee, too. Okay.
0: We'll do it in shifts. We'll
2: do it in shifts. I'll go first okay (laughs) anyways you are someone that i could talk to about the flat earth conspiracy you don't believe in flat earth but you can kind of understand where i'm coming from what if i finance a research ship and make a documentary i can't go away for three months i will pay what about How much five? money can you raise? <laughs> We're going to need a... Are you guys going yeah, to the moon a... or in orbit? Okay, you raise the money for a trip <laughs> no, to South No, there's no raise the money. No, I, no, got no. The money. No, no. I got the money. Okay, you I got, got the money. the Listen, Listen, money. This <laughs> is the deal. This is the deal. Uh, this is uh, the deal. Go pee. Go pee, man. So I'm gonna, we're gonna do this. We'll send Joe Rogan. Yeah, no, go. no, we're gonna do this. Joe, I'm gonna send it's someone astronauts. else. You're gonna find the edge of the world. Yeah, big yeah, ice yeah. caps, cats that are knocking. I'm things gonna off. film
0: the drop off with my iPhone. <laughs> yes, yes. Go, go pee, man. Go pee. Don't you have to go? We're gonna send someone else, Alex. Yeah, but yeah, we're gonna not do anymore. this. Hey, you know what? You <laughs> we're gonna I
2: do I this. I don't, I don't have to be the I one that goes. I gotta pee a minute. I don't have to be the one that goes. Pee in a minute. Let me tell you something right now. Let me tell you something right now. <laughs> I came here and I proved they're keeping babies alive and taking their organs. How did you prove that? I, actually, they you, Jamie pulled some no, shit no, up no, on no, Google. No. They admitted that <laughs> That's they're, you they're normalizing it. No, the fuck, the governor. <laughs> Listen <laughs> to me. You really think there's people out there campaigning for late term abortions? You think that shit's real? You The think shit voted Monday to keep it legal. Who would kill? do that? R. Who R. would o. do that? Who would campaign? For, that's they the most fucking pre- did it, Bravo. That, that is Bravo. the craziest and shit ever. And you can't fucking admit they're fucking <laughs> killing already born kids. So you're telling me it isn't real when they had a fucking vote in the goddamn fucking Senate? Jesus, that's that's that a, theory. That's a conspiracy <laughs> theory. I am ready to be sure. That's a conspiracy theory. You just, think you're fucking tough, you're about to get it. Bullshit. They're killing already born babies. <laughs> Stop fucking lying. God fucking damn it. I'm getting pissed now.
0: Don't get pissed. No! Play. I mean, okay. you saw
2: the... Dude, it's going to... just it. fucking it. with Will you. Really? Hold on. Alex! 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 I'm Alex! i in, right in right now! Alex, the fucking I was Senate, fucking with the you! The fucking Senate voted Here's to kill thing. babies after they're fucking born! Hey, I was let just speak. playing with Eddie. you. Of course I
0: believe that! We went into a long conversation about that. We played. I heard it. Okay, you heard it. I heard the whole podcast. Oh, you're <laughs> I'm playing okay. with you. Okay. okay. But
2: okay. Imagine my okay. psychosis Think about is this. What I said. Think reality okay. is so crazy that I always thought I was so tough. I can't believe that he doesn't I gonna, have to pee anymore. That I, I gotta piss a little bit. <laughs> Al, Al, <laughs> the point is, the point is, is that, <laughs> The point is, is that? Why are we debating <laughs> whether the Earth is flat, dude? They're keeping. They have human-animal hybrids.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. That's what I mean. I feel like that is the pinnacle of where this medium can take us? Yeah, it's watching like that's a, he was in an extreme state. What well, about when he kept going? Baby, be comfortable. Keep the be comfortable. Yeah, and that was. Well, this is like I listened to that podcast. Like I go and runs. So I'd listen to this, and I thought. Pff- hell man where else are you gonna get this content where is that well there's no one would ever
0: agree to it anywhere else that's the thing you'd never get a group of people whose jobs depended upon keeping the show on the air whether they're producers or executives they would never agree to that they'd be like you can't have that crazy fucker on you can't have this on you can't have eddie bravo on all the time he thinks the world is flat stop this because <laughs> it. you're
1: travelling between such diverse and unusual ideas and and yeah. sort of the thing with alex jones is, as well is that he's like he, go, he demonstrates to a point that there's veracity in what he's saying it's some like- things
0: yeah he's right about a lot of things you know, when we were talking about animal-human hybrids, we started pulling up these studies where they actually have done studies where they've tried to create animal-human hybrids, non-viable em- animal-human embryos. They're trying to grow human organs in different animals, and there's all sorts of weird scientific shit that we're doing. Imagine what they're doing in China behind walls. Look at this. China's latest cloned monkey experiment is an ethical mess.
3: They use CRISPR to add human genes oh. into monkey genes, and there's like five monkeys. This happened back in January, and I don't Dude, know. Dude, this is
0: a fucking horror movie. This is a horror movie. This is how the horror movie begins, right? Why? Because you
1: think that once, if that's what's being One revealed,
0: the truth is darker. Yes, for sure. For sure, they're trying to create super soldiers. Someone is trying to create some super soldier, some half-chimp, half-human, super-intelligent, murderous thing that's powered by remote
1: control. That is not a good objective. No. I don't see a good outcome for this super intelligent, murderous, remote-controlled the chimp only, being. But what if you could send those super
0: intelligent, murderous chimps to go kill ISIS?
1: Now, now we've got a reason to start designing. Get them out
0: there. Now we need. We, look, we've got a nice contract with uh, this
1: defense contractor, and they're gonna. That's how we lubricate the passage yes. to the murderous monkeys is ISIS. That's the function of ISIS in uh, the cultural conversation is to j- justify yeah. the monkey soldiers. Do you
0: know what one scared me more than anyone that I've ever read? I read about this thing that um, DARPA was putting together. It's a a robot called the Eater Robot, E-A-T-R Robot. It's a robot that fuels itself on uh, biological matter. So it essentially could eat bodies. So you've got a murderous robot that eats people.
1: The it's like that's the its fuel. Worst kind of things that human beings could achieve. It's like people are sat around trying to yeah. come up with them.
0: Well, they're the, you know they, they they're responsible for a lot of really crazy innovation in terms of like <laughs> military stuff, you know. But Boston Dynamics, you know, they're the ones that make those crazy robots, and they work with DARPA, and those are the ones that make those <laughs> robots that you can't kick over. Right. You know, I mean, that's what you need. One of those that eats people and you send them to the battlefield.
1: (laughs) Kick it over. No, that's the first thing we established is you can't kick it over.
0: (laughs) I just think that's that's the big fear is that future warfare will be our robots versus (laughs) their robots.
1: You know? (laughs) If we're starting to bring about the worst aspects, uh, the, the worst things that a human being can conceive of, let's channel them through into yeah. reality. It, yeah, it does make you feel that the apocalypse is real. I thought it was bad enough when in the malaise of my younger days, I s- like, uh, thought, oh, wow, imagine if there was a cleaning service where the person would come around and clean dressed scantily they do uh, that they do that whatever yeah. devious shit you can dream up someone's trying to turn a buck yeah. off it and they've taken it to the extent of the non-kickover robot flesh eating robots yeah yeah what it's is, this, is this jamie is this a new one it's a new
3: video today oh
1: god watch this this is so scary is this boston dynamics yeah there's something very <laughs> eerie about that type of motion. You know, like the way that a, the movement of a snake is deeply coded to be unpleasant when yes. you see it. There's something about you think that movement, you think that ain't good. Enter but it's the truck it's towing.
0: Wow. Oh my God, they're pulling a truck? Oh, yeah. And it's tiny little tootsies. Those that, they're that strong, they can yeah. pull a truck? Ten little robots.
1: That's a giant ass truck. I mean, it is also just a husky sled made out of expensive <laughs> robots and a truck. They've s- spent a lot of time and endeavor to go backwards i I guess, kinda, but to an issue Santa Claus
0: they're showing how strong these things are
1: i don't like I don't like their gait, Joe <laughs> yeah. I, that's an unpleasant gait yeah, you should be un you should be uncomfortable with it yeah that's not, I'm not easy at ease with that, well, that does, it's not human, it's not
0: animal and there's no compassion in it it's 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 feelingless, but that's what you got to worry have you ever seen that episode of Black Mirror where the lady gets chased down by the drones?
1: I've not seen that. What are they? One where they are bees?
0: No, there's a woman who's being haunted. She's being hunted uh, by a robot, and it's terrifying because of its remorseless because
1: lack of humanity yes, and it empathy. Looks
0: just like that. Looks just like those things.
1: Those yeah. are real. Like, Charlie Brooker. He's yeah, he's yeah. plugged into it. That man's got good imagination. He's amazing. He's yeah. amazing. That show is
0: fantastic. But these things, look, what we have to worry about is once artificial intelligence becomes sentient, and you can somehow or another attach it to these objects that move. And they, they run on solar power, or they have you know nuclear fuel cells or some crazy shit that allows them to exist for a long period of time. I mean, you, you don't have to worry about them contaminating environments if you plan on killing everybody
1: in the environment. Oh man! And also, there's no means of regulation, is there? Because this because this is the apex of human endeavor. They're in what what can govern that? What can regulate it? And like you say, there'll be a Chinese equivalent for any of this stuff. There's nothing that's above it going, is this a good idea? Should we pull back? What did he, Elon... Is, the, he just pulled up a thing that said they're making that now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, got that got these, one I just yeah. showed
3: you. They're A hundred different models of it are going to be available starting production this summer. <sighs> doesn't say how much they're, they're going to Wow. Cost, but available for people to buy.
0: Well, it says a hundred different models. It says produce a hundred models. That probably means it'll produce a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. Like a hundred different companies are going to want them. But I bet it's more than that.
3: Yeah, depending th-
0: about how much they cost.
3: Yeah, it doesn't say how much it's going to cost. They're going to announce that later. But they showed uh, uh, like a robot arm coming. Oh, out. Oh, that it's, looks so creepy! Sad. Look at that thing.
0: Imagine we have one of those things in the room filming. We should get one. No, no. Don't, what don't if it takes over one it. day? We come here. And it's got red eyes. It's like fuck you, fuck you. What, <laughs> what you've if it done likes to the earth? We're the first ones to
3: help it. Or don't it try does? and befriend
1: it, Jamie. <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> listening to us like <laughs> Alexa. That's how be- it begins, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, there's something creepy. arachnoid and eerie yes. about that. It's almost like, you know, now tr- 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 see if this tunes into the DMT component of what we've been talking about. It's almost as if we've already experienced this reality. We've already been through the version where those evil insectoid robots take over. So when we see it on the screen, we think, oh no, we're doing that thing. Oh, we're doing right. that thing where we create those things that bring about our destruction. And I believe it's because we've become biased. To commerce and a particular type of progress, Mm. Uh, but one narrative has succeeded (laughs) because we necessarily had to throw off religion, you know, at the dawn of the secular age, because religion was becoming systems of bias and systems of oppression and what and systems of uh, what do I want to say, elevating certain types of power and supporting elites. But go, hang on a minute, this religion, a lot of it seems like bullshit. What we've done is we've abandoned the sacred, and I think if you abandon the sacred meaning there is more to life than what we can understand i listened to the brian cox episode and i've spoke to brian cox the british physicist uh, astrophysicist on my show as well and when he talks about like he said that you know we know that there's not some additional component to a human being because we can break down everything that happens when you move an arm you know whatever and i feel like we only have limited instruments we only have limited instruments there's certain frequencies that we simply cannot read what else is going on when people are having these transcendent psychedelic experiences we're accessing elements of consciousness and energies and frequencies that we are not able to access while we're in this state and everything we're achieving and everything we're building, we're building on this platform. And the bias of this platform is towards progress and materialism. And I think the result is flesh eating robots and those evil monkey warrior (laughs) soldiers. And we might i want to calm down and have a little talk about what it is we're trying to design.
0: Yeah. I don't know if I agree with Brian on that particular point that we think we know everything about where consciousness emanates, I don't think that's necessary but I like the fact that he thinks that way because he's such a rigid hardliner for science and yeah I mean, the guy works at CERN I mean he's a, a brilliant brilliant man so of course he thinks yeah. that way I also don't think he's ever had a DMT experience
1: that's right I wonder that yeah, yeah. some people I think give him a quick dose you know like yeah. because I, I as well I respect Brian and it's further to my point similar to the hunting argument I can but you know I happen to believe in God but like I when I talked to Brian Cox I got to the point where I was saying all right even though I believe in God and you are an, uh, uh, an atheist although he said i don't call myself an atheist well i felt like we both got to the point where we said compassion kindness and love are the most important things yeah. so in this way who cares so when you, say you get you, there
0: when you say you believe in god do you believe in the traditional god of christianity do you, do you believe in god as a concept do you have your own definition for it that
1: I believe that that state of w- oneness and transcendence that you're talking about when you, through your DMT experiences, that says, you know, love and kindness and love and awareness. I believe that is the most real thing. I think that preceded all matter. And I think that we that we can interact with it. So I don't believe God in a sort of in just a guy way that the whole world is like an interactive bio- biological living, breathing goddess. I believe that we I believe, yes, that and that we can commune with it. And, I, and furthermore, the relevance of it for me is that it it suggests to me that we should be acting kindly and lovingly. And when we're thinking about how do we organise our systems, that our awareness of that energy accessible to all of us should be paramount in our understanding of how we organise. So, like, what I think is, like, that we should look at, you know, like, we've been through as human beings, you know, so many advents, the agriculture, technology, industry, thinking that we were, that the, you know, the sun went around the earth, thinking that the earth was flat, with all due respect to Eddie Bravo. Like, <laughs> and, and, like, you know, and, we, and, and before each of these realisations and each of these changes, we always think we're at the summit. We never know what's going to be the thing that's going to change. My suspicion is that what's going to, the change is that the way we relate to consciousness and the way we see ourselves as individuals that we start to have an understanding that what that that becomes a priority that thing you described of like when I have come back from DMT trips I recognize this is just an illusion and it's not real I think that will start like I believe that we need to prioritize that and progressing along that line what are the implications of this not being the most real frequency there is how do we organize society on that basis how does that affect how we relate to one another what kind of of how should we be governing how how does that affect justice that that should be in the mix instead of how many fucking terrifying arachnoid weird gate robot motherfuckers Mm. can we cook up (laughs) you know like that's the way we're going the progressive technological route because it's created medicine because it's saved so many lives because it's given us wonderful technology the spirit of entrepreneurship but all of that energy it all gets Pushed in one direction yeah. you know, it all goes that way and i feel that we need to invite that back the sacred and the divine need to be back in the conversation well
0: there's certainly going to be pros and cons with everything you know there's definitely pros and cons with the creation of technology i think of this i think of human beings as <clears throat> if you go back to single-celled organisms they have very little awareness of their environment and then as it became primitive bugs you know as, as, as things evolved they develop more awareness, but even us, in comparison to certain animals, certain animals have heightened senses of smell and survival instincts. But they're also colorblind, mm. you know, and they, they, they don't see things. They see edge detection. Like that's one of the things about deer. Um, they see movement. So, like, if you wear camouflage and you know your your pattern is broken up with a grid, mm. and then you stay put, they don't see you. Yeah, they just it, it doesn't meet, doesn't register to them. They see movement. So we have a far more complex system of recognition than they do in terms of like visually, the way we see things. And I think that whatever skills or whatever senses that we've evolved, I don't think that's it. I don't think that we've reached the pinnacle of it. And I think that as beings become more and more evolved, they'll probably gain more and more senses. And that could be directly related to technology. <clears throat> it's totally possible that what's going on with technologies that we're also developing through external means a way for us to see the world a way for us to view like what they've done with the large hadron colliders like the best example of it right what they do with the hubble space telescope and other telescopes you're, you're using technology to gain awareness and to see more things and that this is the good side of technologies that it's allowing us to have a far greater understanding of all the variables that surround us that we might not be able to detect with our senses yes and that this is a part of who we are and then i think when you're talking about things like psychedelic experiences that's probably another realm of understanding that we haven't really achieved yet because we're we're still evolving as as a as a species as a thing
1: what i think is interesting is that the continual bias <clears throat> along that technological path is towards profit you know when we see those uh, uh, <coughs> machines yeah. the end point is always how do we make how do we maximize profit yeah. there is no like the influence of how do we do what's right that's like a sort of a a person like a sort of a general ethical uh what do i want to say sort of code is not being introduced there is no regulation right. like a, you know like Ultimately, you know, ultimately people will create the warrior monkeys or the most profitable machines people will because the the counter argument isn't being made. No one is like what well, I'm not saying. No one's making it. There's just there's no union of uh you know, there's no sort of c- clear opinion of. Hang on a minute, where could we be going? No, there is no body or ideology that's able to oppose the relentless march of capitalism. I'm not no. sort of like a flat out, capitalism is bad. Here I am promoting a book, using an iPhone. <laughs> oh, you know, what I mean, I'm. We're all swimming in it. Right. But what I'm saying is that if we acknowledge there are transcendent realms there there is information date and data that exists beyond what we're able to receive with our senses how are we going to incorporate that in the way we organize because otherwise the sort of the magnetism the pull the g-force of what's mm. most profitable what's going to continue to suit the uh, requirements of the powerful that will always the bias will always fall in that direction and it seems like where that's heading is certain kinds of ecological disaster certain mm. kinds of economic inequality certain kinds of conflict you know and like when I, one of the simple uh, uh, experiments that i apply is you know if we you know if we people say oh what's wrong with the world the world's so fucked all this polarity i sometimes think well who is benefiting from how it is now are there is anyone benefiting are there any groups institutions or individuals for whom this current state is beneficial, And if the answer to that question is yes, then look at who those institutions are and they are most likely to a degree involved in establishing and maintaining these systems. Mm. And there are, you know, institutions and individuals and organisations that this works just fine for.
0: But are they just capitalizing on it or are they organizing it? And it is a normal part of the way human beings operate with this constant desire for innovation, constant desire for improvement. We always want to push further. No no one's comfortable where they are. They always want to be in a better place. And this is almost like it's built into capitalism, right? I agree. <clears throat> that this materialism which is built into capitalism also is what fuels innovation yes. because you want the newest iPhone so they have to design it and build it and make it I agree. and when new things come out like this new robot that apparently you're gonna hundred models whatever that means th- what that is is this is, is they're gonna sell it so there's like it's fueling innovation someone else will come along and compete with Boston Dynamics and then there'll be there'll be innovation wars if these innovation wars weren't to, in place right now Our phones would look nothing like the iPhone X. It just wouldn't. It wouldn't look like the SX. It would look like... Who knows what it would look like, but there would be no, no incentive for them to compete against all these Samsung devices and Huawei devices, and all that stuff is fueling this innovation, but it's all being fueled by capitalism.
1: You're quite right that, that, that innovation is one of the benefits of the maintaining this yeah. system, but it seems to me that we are excluding other factors yeah. like that, that, that recur throughout human cultures we all have an idea of fairness Mm -hmm. of justice and yeah i don't want some clunky weird sort of eastern block phone made out of gray (laughs) plastic (laughs) with only one button on it like but like we have to i suppose examine as a society and as individuals what is important to us now right. where, where I think you know we've talked touched several times upon you know the fact that as an individual you're more likely to bias yourself towards negative information online you know like we do have a degree of individual power and individual responsibility and I feel like if enough people awaken to the possibility of different narratives that that the capitalist idea of innovation and success and, and progress that, that all of these words can be examined what do you mean progress yeah. that assumes a teleology a purpose a destination if all time is happening at once if space is infinite like you know that bit of yours of like you know to try and fathom for a moment the limitlessness that we're existing within then all these things are constructs this is a construct and it is good to have technology but it's possible to like at points times of crisis such as what it feels like we're at now and although people have said oh we always feel that every generation thinks that they're the one because they know their own impending death is coming and they narrow that into yes. something social and global. Mm-hmm. Well, regardless, there's got to be a time where we start to introduce different ideas into our systems. It seems like there's room for that now because we do live in a, to- a, t- a truly global culture that there is the possibility for monoliths to introduce new innovation and there is nothing that can oppose it or regulate it. We're starting to see this kind of breakdown. So I'm interested in fr- how we can individually prepare ourselves to organise society differently. To be over to overcome pretty superficial differences like oh you go hunting i don't go hunting we ain't who gives a fuck Mm -hmm. let's start talking about how we can organize a society where people who go hunting or don't go hunting can live peacefully in different ways not entirely governed by a small cabal you know and i'm sure power is more complex than that that seem to be hugely biasing the direction of this so-called progress
0: I think you answered your own previous questions when you're talking about whether or not you can be spiritual and funny and like, what are you doing? Can you carve that path out for yourself? That what you're doing there by explaining that would influence people, would give people a perspective that allows them to say, yeah, like, why are we doing this? And what is the purpose of this? And if enough people hear those words and have that perspective introduced to them, it'll change the way they interact with the world. And that changes the world. It really Mm -hmm. does. And- That's one of the more powerful things about discussions when someone like you says something like that and it resonates with people and they start thinking like, why am I living like this? Like what if I only have if I really do only have 50 years to live, why am I living these 50 years in some really unproductive bullshit way that's not satisfying at all? because i just want a bigger house like what is it do i want a, a faster car do i want a, a expensive piece of jewelry like what is what is the purpose of this path that i'm on now versus a path that i could be on and what is the real conflict that we all experience between each other? Is it how much of it is due to a lack of communication? How much of it is due to a lack of real listening and understanding? And one of the things I've said about like comments and podcasts and stuff like that, I think one of the reasons why a lot of people get mad, and I've tried to like, thought, think this through, like why some people, some of the response is so negative to things that don't, that seem innocuous on the outside. I think it's because it's frustrating when you don't have a say. Yeah. Like if two people, like you you and I, are talking about something, there's probably some guy right now going, "Well, just fucking stop (laughs) with all your spiritual bullshit." Here's what you do: you wake up when your fucking alarm clock goes off. You never hit snooze. You get out the door. You put your hours in. Eventually, you get better. You take care of your family. You act like a fucking man. And there's probably people like that 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 are they're upset. They they feel like we're pontificating too much, and this is all just you know uh, just. Mental masturbation. You're right. In some
1: ways it is, but that's part of how you dissolve these things and think these things through. I believe they deserve their say as well. And that's one of the things that you know of being a person that goes to sort of twelve step support groups is you recognize that everyone's individual experience that is valuable. Yes. That it's not like that and I've got over the idea that that there's some external thing can be imposed. And like, you know, whilst there are like many people that are, you know, we could say not using their 50 years to maximum effect because they're, you know, pursuing odd material goals. Mm-hmm. There are, you know, many, many more people that are n- have never been introduced to the idea of freedom because, from the moment they're born, they're economically tyrannized yeah. and told that you're only if you are not economically valuable to this system, you are not valuable at all. And that isn't that's only an idea. Like, you know, if you don't, you know, if you can't become a lawyer or you know a comedian or whatever, fuck you. Well, so many of us are
0: trapped in the expectations and values of our parents too. That's a real problem with people. Don't let their children become an individual. You know, they force their children to follow their own rigid ideology don't and they you, shame them when they don't.
1: I agree with that. But do you not imagine that a de- fair degree of that stuff is unconscious? Do you yeah, not th- think that you and I degree, are sure. probably un- unconsciously imposing things on our oh, kids? Oh, 100%. But not with
0: guilt. And I mean, if your kid comes to you and say, Dad, you know, I know you wanted me to be a doctor, but fuck it, I want to play bongos. I just want to be the best bongo player of all time. I bet you'd probably be like, "Hey, learn the fucking bongos. Yeah. Give me a hug. Yeah. You know, go get those bongos. Get out there yeah. and become the best damn bongoer but, but you can, there or are, even mediocre, I don't sure, care. But there are fathers out there who'd be like, "The fuck you are. You're going to mm. be a goddamn doctor. Stop being a pussy." And you're going to go back to medical school, and you're going to pick up your studies, and we're going to get you a tutor, and you're going to perform, because we're a Wilson. You're a Wilson, (laughs) and this Wilson family's been physicians since 1820, your grandfather. Time
1: immemorial, the Wilsons have been physicians. He made people bite
0: down on a leather strap before amnesia, and he sawed off legs, and he kept those people alive. You want to play bongos, you little fuck. You know? yeah yeah, people get mad
1: but my per- bias is towards my kid like uh like sort of, i like when we was back in england like i was aware of like grandparents or whatever reacting to spiders and stuff going oh spiders are scary i'm mm-hmm. like don't fucking teach them that spiders are scary i don't want her to think of things as scary tell her like these spiders are cool they're all right there's nothing you know like so, and you're aware of familial influence, like that they want a, the hair to be a certain way. They want them to wear certain things. They want them mm-hmm. to, like, you know, part of the veganism is like, if you make these kids vegan, at least now I know wherever they go, there's going to be so many restrictions on their food. I've not made the kids vegan. They, you Good know, food, they eat whatever the hell graduates. they want. It's up to them. Yeah, thank you. Where's my gold star? Where's my <laughs> ticker tape parade? Yeah. Um, but, like, uh, so, but, like, you know, I, but I don't know what, you know, we don't know our own biases. We don't yeah. know what, where we've been institutions Realised, you know, right, like, it's I'm hard. not because sure, how you know the very nature yeah. of the unconscious is we are not aware of it, you know. So I suppose in a sense, a c- c- continued open mindedness and a willingness to change must be part of any dialogue to uh, go into these situations. Think, Joe, you know I might not actually know what's. That's why I'm not. When I was 20, if you'd have said about the hunting, I'd be like, oh no, man, like now I'm like, yeah, Jesus, there's so many ways of seeing the world. There's so many ways of looking at what's yeah. natural and what's correct. I'm, you know, what do I? Know? I think with hunting, hunting. Hunting is
0: like many things and that there's no real clean answer. There's no yes or no, good or bad, because you could think there is, but then you find circumstances like wild pigs or invasive species. Like I, I go hunting on a place called Lanai. It's one of the small islands of Hawaii. Mm. There's somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,000 people and 20,000 deer. It is so overpopulated with deer, mm. and they have to kill them. They kill them every day. They hire snipers, they hire people to kill them. People are slamming in them with their cars. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're fucking everywhere. And they're Axis deer. They're not even from there. They're from, uh, someone brought them over from India to give to King Kamehameha in like the 1800s. They're, they're animals actually that evolved to get away from tigers. So there's this insanely fast, beautiful deer that are everywhere. They're forced to kill. Well, the good news is the people that are uh, low income people of the island always have meat. There's, there's meat everywhere. Everyone mm-hmm. can hunt. It's really easy to find them. You can you could find them. And if you, you know, if you want, you can go kill them
1: yeah i got no moral judgment about that you know if there's rats in my house what i'm not gonna put down poison i'm gonna go oh but
0: that's the thing rats right as are a allowed vegan flourish you should probably feel bad about
1: killing a rat right as a vegan i do, yeah. feel, bad. do you feel bad i about feel swatting bad swatting about everything i'm hungry what about yeah <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't uh, i wouldn't <laughs> swat a mosquito even the, even the even the dalai really? lama even the dalai lama lo i see him he went uh like the first time a gentle brush the second time a harder one third time smack the Dalai wow. Lama, like, you know, you, the, the Dalai Lama gives him free chances. <laughs> Joe, can I, <laughs> well, then you're out. You yeah. might be reincarnated or something better. Can I go for to a pee, please? Yeah,
0: sure, sure. Go ahead, man. Thanks. It's almost three o'clock already, can You believe so it or not. quite
1: well. Oh, God. I'm, like, when standing up has made me realize the pressure
0: my bladder was under. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a character, isn't he? He's got these incredibly long rants, you know? Yeah. But he's so um, self-aware and introspective. He's like always analyzing himself, trying to find out if he's doing right. Yeah. I get a kick out of these celebrity dudes doing jujitsu too. I think it's hilarious. It's awesome. It's cool. It's cool to hear him talk about it. You could tell, you know, the, the struggles with it.
3: I just saw someone else said they just started, it and I can't remember who it was. Someone famous? I yeah, it might not be relevant at all, but I'm trying to.
0: Nah. I think De- Demi Lovato is like a purple belt or some shit. She's been into it for a long time. Uh, Russell, who Russell's you know, I've trained it. with it. Russell's a legit blue belt. I rolled with L- Russell, <clears throat> and I was like, "Wow, Russell really knows jujitsu. He's actually doing the right stuff here." It's hard. It's hard for someone to go from a place of where a guy like Russell Brand is handsome, beautiful, famous man who is got some strange plumber sitting on his face, yanking on his arm. <laughs>
3: his description of it is awesome.
0: <coughs> yeah, filled with bowel, feces in his bowels. and Yeah. That veganism stuff is for the birds, though. Sorry, vegan people. To eat eggs. If you don't want to kill any animals, please just find, find a good farm that has pasture-raised eggs and see how much better you feel. Or eat animals that are assholes. Should find animals that are assholes in the woods. Only eat the assholes. Somebody sent me this horrible video that I've seen many times before of uh, a bear uh, killing a deer in a backyard and the deer screaming, the bear's tearing it apart. I'm sure you've seen that before, right? And uh, he sent it to me and he goes, okay, now I get it. Like, I didn't think, I thought like if a bear got a deer that it would be just, oh, hey, this is just how nature works. Like, no, this is horrific, violent act. Of this animal tearing this other animal apart. Now, would you prefer that than a hunter? Because 99 times out of 100, when a hunter kills an animal, it's way quicker. There, that's the video. It's horrible. It's a horrible video, this animal. I think it's actually a black bear. I think it's either a grizzly or a color phase black bear. But it it takes a long time, too. If If you haven't seen the video, it's a long one. And The animal makes some horrible noises. We're talking about uh, Russell returns. We're talking about uh, a video That I've seen before about this bear that kills this deer in this guy's yard and the guy films in the deers making these horrible noises And uh, this guy sent sent it to me and he goes uh, now I get it He goes I get what the wild is actually all about because you don't really see it that much You don't really see, it's very rare. That you actually see an animal kill an animal so we have these romantic Disney ideas Of what the food chain
1: looks like out there. Yeah, nature's brutal. I mean, (laughs) I don't try and impose on my dog the kind of conditions that I would hold myself to. You should have an organic
0: garden if you really want to do it, right? Because if you're getting into large-scale agriculture, you're buying food from people that grow it – they're running over fucking rabbits and mice yeah. and killing things with pesticides and there's no there's no removing yourself from death but <laughs> just by eating vegetables it's just you don't they have to re also they have to like when with large scale agriculture they're that ground all those animals get displaced. Yeah. You know, it just fucks the whole ecosystem up of whatever area they're planting on, and then when they roll over it with those gigantic combines and pull up that grain, they're chewing up everything. That's why vultures always circle where combines are. As soon as they have fresh cut, the vultures start
1: showing up because they know there's gonna be something that got jacked. See, once you know that, that monoculture is unhealthy, their only resistance to Altering it to having like permaculture and mm. healthier, better agricultural models is commerce and profit. That's the no, object No, no,
0: no, no. You communes, which you could have as community gardens.
1: Yes, yes, you could. But the only reason, but like if you start, if we start saying, hey, why don't we not have monoculture anymore because it's yeah. uh, unfair and it's unreasonable, they go, we can't because uh, it's profitable to have it and people won't be able to afford food. But all of that is like, a, you know, a, a, a an interrelated system that's sort of gridlocked into protecting itself. Yeah. You know, like there's a, the, a spiritual maxim, wisdom is acting on knowledge and that is not the world we live in right. we know things and then we just ignore it you know like as individuals or as or as you know co- corporations and as groups and like what I feel like I'm trying to do as an individual is hold myself to that standard like I oh, know that's not good for me to do that anymore I'm not going to do that I'm going to like oh, I'm going to watch myself and I'm going to watch that behavior and I'm going to try and improve you know like I don't want to go like when my first impulse and heading down to the Hibiro jiu-jitsu places I feel nervous I don't feel confident doing it I don't want to go or whether it's like giving up meat or whatever but I'm doing these things in a sense that I think these are the kind of improvements I can make now like when you, we almost don't expect that of politics anymore. You don't expect a sort of a political figure to say, well, look, listen, monoculture is having a terrible impact. They'll make some gestural thing, wouldn't they? They go, look, we're going to try and control Facebook and Google a little bit. Mm. We're going to try and reduce emissions, this amount. They want to go, listen, we know that's wrong. We're not going to do that anymore because the, the, there's too many powerful interests. That's why I was susceptible to the vegan documentary. You know, Of course, there's the ethical reasons, in my opinion, for becoming... Vegan, but because it's like the reason that these kind of foods are promoted is because these powerful groups lobby government and lobby the the group the organisations that set the standards until they shut up and comply. Well, you could sort of say that about vegetable
0: based foods too. That's I mean, do you think there's powerful corn.
1: vegan lobbies they still well, seem no, no, so vegetables. vulnerable?
0: No, v- vegetables, just <sighs> corn, just growing right, corn. Right, definitely monoculture. I mean, that's subst- the, I agree with you. you that's know?
1: the same. That is the same. You. Know, like you're saying that the reason that is continuing is because it's profitable and but these ideas aren't going to get explored because we're on one path one teleological journey like that's sometimes what i feel like when people talk about the threats of different cultural influence e.g islam for example right i feel like well we already live in a kind of fundamentalism that's invisible to us because it's all we know we live in a culture that if something isn't profitable it will not survive and i don't think that's how human beings are set up to exist I have this rather lovely anecdote about like I was coming back from a gig and there was a woman like she a car broke down the side of the road. I had a driver. Forgive me. Forgive me. I'm not poor anymore. Forgive me. I had a driver and we see this woman. She's by the car side of the road. Her car's broke down and different like. It's a night time, and like a few different people stop and help her. The first guy is like, This is in England, it's like a Polish immigrant guy comes and helps. You know, my driver is a Muslim geezer, he's helping. I'm trying to help pretty inefficient, may I say, because you know, like if you're a famous person, when you go into a situation, there's sometimes you don't want to be recognized, there's other mm-hmm. times it's of good to be recognized. When you're not recognized at all, I always think, Oh i'm not being at all recognized in this situation no one recognized me in that time so i was just a weird geezer at the side of the road trying to help someone who had a minor accident without any relevant skills then someone stopped with relevant skills he was like a paramedic he took control of the situation he was ordering people around you stand here you do this go and get that go and get my head torch he said at one point he had a fucking head torch this guy's serious and like he was like he brilliantly resolved the situation um what you was know, he doing with the head torch? Do you mean like a light? He had a head torch. A like light. A torch Yeah. Okay, yeah. not a torch,
0: like a light. Yeah, I was right. about, is he burning? Is yeah. he welding?
1: <laughs> what is he doing? Is it didn't emit torch? heat. All right, fair enough. Yeah, this
0: is my didn't a- emit heat. So it didn't emit light. heat. Right, right, right. I just wanted to clarify. In my country. You British people are so strange. <laughs> Even the way you spell tires. Like, what's that Y doing in there? That's necessary. That's the Queen's Y. Why. why does color have a U in it?
1: You need that you <laughs> to round off the second syllable of color. You savage yank brutes with your color, color. No, it's a diphthong.
0: Color, uh, color. Like we the, can't even say snooker. <laughs> we, we say snooker. We can't even pronounce a sport that we don't Birmingham. even know. Birmingham.
1: Yeah, I no. mean, it's a. It's we a burn ca- ham? Catastro- Catastrophe, the way you How talk. How do we burn ham? Burni- oh, no, burning. Ha- oh. Birmingham. <laughs> Birmingham. Birmingham. Yeah. Birmingham. That's yeah. right. Listen, this guy had what you would evidently call a headlight, headlight. but even that doesn't sound right. Yeah, it was head like a headlamp. A headlamp. A headlamp. Yeah. Like, that's an odd thing well, to have in your calls. vehicle. No, no,
0: no. I have one.
1: What, you got a headlamp in your yes. car? Yes.
0: Yes. What are you anticipating? If you get stuck somewhere, man, if right. anything happens, you should have a headlamp. This is the kind of person that you want pulling over. Well, listen, when you go hunting, <laughs> one of the things that happens is you're in the woods. And when it happens, when the sun goes down, you can't see where the fuck you're going. You have to have a headlamp.
1: How? Every hunter much has distance? a headlamp.
0: Very far. What, I, have like- a really good one. Yeah, I have a really good one. Yeah. I have a really good one. So you're
1: lighting stuff up. Isn't that going to s- alert
0: the. Well, you're, you don't hunt at night. Right. You know, it's illegal. Once the sun goes down, there's no hunting. You have to be able to see what you're shooting at, no otherwise, way. you shoot a person. <laughs> so you have these fucking <laughs> Some sort of rules. Lights on your head are just to help you navigate through the woods and to spot predators, because, of course, if you're vulnerable. You know, and you see giant eyes ahead that are nine feet off the ground. You're like, oh, okay. fuck, it's a bear. It's Jesus a two way street yes. hunting. It's like, oh, oh. hold on,
1: the hunter's become oh, hunted. Yeah. That happens. I've had
0: experiences where I've ran into predators in the wild, uh, particularly uh, one time in Canada, I ran into a grizzly bear and uh looking in the eyes it wasn't even a big one it was like a six foot bear it wasn't huge but it looks right through you it yeah. looks right through you and so when you run into an animal that's killing shit every day and it looks at you oh, yeah. there's like a demonic look in its eyes yeah. it's, i've me i've seen black bears before you don't see that look a, a grizzly bear which is you know more predatory they have a crazy look in their eyes it's really interesting
1: i made eye contact with a couple of predators a shark once in a shark cage on oh. like when i was doing that film sarah marshall that i've done years ago or oh. went in a shark cage and right and they lower you down and you see a, shake, a shark come towards you it's like it's swimming through time it's like it's come from another era. it looks at you with like you think whoa fucking hell and like and i was terrified in that cage and like like ed norton was there and with the arlson they were on that island as well they were mates with people that were on the movie they got in the water outside of the cage Other out of their fucking mind. Uh, That's insane, isn't it? The shark was little, and apparently it's not the kind of shark that eats you, but even the eye contact, and its fucking teeth, I don't even look at it. And then another thing I looked at once, I was in a tiger sanctuary in India, and I had like a. I didn't like the vehicle I was in oh, this is a, I should have maybe <laughs> stuck suck with that actually this ain't comfortable there's a better jeep over there so I got out of it to transition and my mate goes you want to get in the car now mate there's a fucking tiger over there and there was a tiger like only 10 foot away just <gasps> this ama- maybe I'm exaggerating hold on a 20 foot maximum like if it was near and the way that that thing looked I mean because it's so beautiful yeah. as well the intensity of being yeah. looked at by that fucking creature that yeah. was some powerful shit. You don't want eye contact with, with that. I don't want to look at something that's got like that you can't negotiate with. That you can't. I feel like look at me even with a jujitsu. Like I've got that little moment where I go, right. "Hey, come on, this old Russ." Yeah, <laughs> with a no tiger, he doesn't yeah. care about your mortgage.
0: Yeah, neither does that grizzly bear. It doesn't care.
1: They look through. I've you. got kids.
0: Yeah, they don't care.
1: No, yeah, it's just,
0: but that's all it's doing all day long is killing things.
1: It's unbelievable because that's as true as everything we yes. reflect on. It just to ask who gives but a most shit about your people theories.
0: Don't know what that is. So their idea of what the wild is is really based on two things. One, their their actual love of animals they know, right? <laughs> it's like dogs and cats. So mm. the animals that we know, we 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 have this connection with them. So we think that they, these are animals. They're science projects, man. Those are not animals. Mm. Real animals don't give a fuck about you. Uh. They're, they, they're in, either indifferent to you or they're scared of you or they want to eat you. That's real animals. The relationship that you have with a dog is like a child. Like, my dog is more like a child to me than he is like an animal. Yeah. I mean, he's like my little friend that doesn't yeah. get to speak. He doesn't talk, Perfect. but, you know. An animal in the wild is a competing organism. They're competing amongst all the various organisms in whatever ecosystem they're in. And either they're at the top or they're they're somewhere below that. And that's just how it goes. And every deer is looking around because there's cats and the cats are slowly sneaking up on them every fucking day of the week. And if you go in a place where there's deer, you best believe there's going to be mountain lions there because that's how it operates. Right. And when you see that in the wild, it's so rare. It's so rare to be around that. But when you see that in the wild, then you get a deeper understanding of what it means to be an animal. Yes. What's horrific mm. is factory farming. What's perverse and disgusting is the way animals are treated when these, lives, these livestock companies... Pump these animals in these warehouses And make them stand in their own shit all day And then uh, abuse them And the horrific nature in which they're raised Yeah, all that should be illegal
2: Ag gag
0: laws, those laws where Whistleblowers get arrested, those should be illegal Those are immoral They're letting people know what goes into your food And those people are being punished for that All that shit is And they're being punished because it hurts business Yes. Well, it should fucking hurt business You're doing something that we all think is immoral that's how I feel about it. I don't yes. think there's anything wrong with even if they if, if there should be standards in how cows are raised, how chickens are raised. Let them live like actual cows. That's beautiful. And there's a way that they can do that where people like Chris Pratt yeah. from Guardians, great guy. He has he raises sheep and he eats them and he even gives them out to people. He has butchers that take care of it. These sheep are treated like, like they're loved, they're not scared of people, and then literally they get walked into this room, they have no idea what's going to happen, a bolt gets put on the top of their head, bang, and the lights go out. Now you could say, that should never happen, and those sheep should just live forever. Okay, you, you could, I could understand that argument. Or you could say, boy... If you're going to eat meat, and you're going to eat the meat of an animal that you know how it lived, mm. and there was no horrific moments in its life, it just one day the lights went out. That seems like the best, most ethical way to do it. Maybe even perhaps more ethical than hunting. Yes. Because when I'm hunting an animal, um, it's, you know, it's out there in this, this crazy state where it's always looking to get eaten. These sheep have no idea they can be eaten. They think that everybody's their buddy, and then one day they die.
1: Yeah, man, I, I agree with that. You know, like, yeah, it's difficult to bring ethics to that. That's clearly, in my view, a matter of opinion. Some people think that's okay, but some people- could say they, they could turn
0: it around on me and say you could do that same like thought experiment with people. Like, why don't you just eat people? Why like, hey, the person lived a perfect life. You put a bolt in the top of their head, and bang, shut the lights out, and then they turn into barbecue.
1: Look, uh, yeah, that's a very pronounced and vivid way. But I would say that, in a sense, we're all like we're being commodified, imprisoned, enclosed. In like the very fact that a law has been made to prevent people regulating or revealing the truth around that, revealing sh- it, yeah, showing shows where the true bias of this system is. In a way, I think that one of the cultural jobs this podcast has performed and this is like whether deliberately or not is it demonstrates that the old political lines that we used to comfortably abide within are starting to sort of break down because you know like something like an obvious signifier of a particular type of person i.e. i go hunting now we have to accept is coupled with your view that the agricultural industry needs to be regulated and it's disgusting now there you know there we have complete and total agreement yeah. and we both ag- can see that the way that legislation is set up is biased towards corporate interests, commercial mm-hmm. interests and profit. Yeah. You know, and so for me, bloody whether you know chris pratt having his own sheep i think yeah no problem man well, well that's not i don't need to spend my time worrying about that i'm a little bit like alex jones like with the why are we worrying about flat earth right. if they've got them babies and all of that stuff it's right. feel like why don't we focus on the things that are making a genuine difference to the uh, the way people are living lives yeah you know. and it seems to me that the one of the priorities is in a new global landscape that we're living with what are the dominant forces and what are the goals of the dominant forces? And how detached are those goals from the lives of what you might say are ordinary people or the majority of people, to use a less you know, complex term? And what's probably most horrific about
0: reforming the system is that the people that are going to suffer the most are the people that are the poorest. So like, if you think of like uh, fast food in particular, right? There's a lot of like really poor people that rep- rely on mm. fast food because it's very inexpensive. If you go and you can get a lot of calories for a, a small amount of money, right? But if you go from the fast food restaurant and then you go down the line to factory farming and then somehow or another they eliminate factory farming and they say, no, no, no. If you're going to raise animals, you have to have the same sort of standards that we would expect if we knew you, if we were there. We want pastures. We want animals living in the wild. We want, I mean, you know, fenced in, but like living like an, an actual animal not this crazy warehouse bullshit you guys are running. Well, that's going to up our operation costs. Well, then that's how it's going to be. So then the beef becomes far more expensive. Now, if the beef becomes far more expensive, then what a fast food, what do the restaurants do? Well, they're going to have to make things more expensive too. So who's going to suffer? The poor people. Who's going to suffer with
1: cheap meat in supermarkets? poor people that can't afford it. No, but I think that what happens Joe is you start to you have started to pull a thread that reveals the how the fabric of our culture is corrupted because it shouldn't be more expensive. The only reason it's more expensive is because everything is put into a capital-based ideology. We're already I've heard many times on this show you discussing universal basic income. This is like the beginning of looking at alternative economic models. And there's an argument for saying everyone has the right to a nutritious diet everyone mm-hmm. has the right to a safe home you right. know so like you know if we start prioritizing those ideas above these organizations have the right to maximize profit we're like, we'll hold on a sec then maximizing profit that's getting taken off the table and then there comes your counter argument about innovation well i would say if innovation slows no problem because we've are we've decided as a culture to prioritize housing and nutrition for the majority of people now you can still say that starts to you know that's that's a kind of socialism but and I don't think that that can work on a on a continental scale I think you have that we have to break down centralized systems yeah. whether those are corporate centralized systems or national I feel that we to the time has gone where there's too much diversity like them not too there probably always was diversity people are different we're influenced by our cultures our schools our education our class our races all these factors and then to expect us all to live in this sort of single bandwidth of this is what America is or this is what France Or this is what England is. People are too different now. But what, you know, it does, it seems like the standards we're adhering to, unconsciously or otherwise, is these groups have the right to make as much money as they can and to interfere with that is un-American or un-British or whatever it was, because, you know, this is beyond national ideas, I'm sure. So... You know, for me, that's you pull that thread, oh, it's the poor that will suffer. Well, then, no, we have to rule out the poor suffer. So so what happens? In the end, you start to get into redistribution of resources, managing and regulating the power of the most powerful people. And whenever that conversation starts, it gets shut down because they want to conserve.
0: Even in a capitalist system, wouldn't it be more ethical if everybody started from the same starting block? Well, that's what's wrong with the world, right? What's wrong with the world is some people are in a... A ter- they have a terrible hand of cards they've been dealt, you know, and my point about food is that the people that are gonna su- they're gonna suffer the most are the people that rely on the cheap food. yes, your as point soon as is that cheap valid. food gets pulled away, then a lot of those supermarkets and a lot of those um fast food stores that rely on that factory farm food. You know, they're going to be in a bad situation. Things are going to be much more expensive. And if things are much more, if if they make animals live like, um, what is that guy's name? Uh, Polyface Farms, uh, Joel Salatin. Yeah, he's a fascinating cat. I had him on my uh, podcast before. He's sort of a farm reformist. And what he believes is that these animals should live just like animals. When he has pigs, he puts them in a, a fenced area, but he moves the fenced area every day. So, like, the pigs move to a different spot, and so mm. they're just constantly foraging and eating acorns, And mm. uh, but they're, you know, they're living like a pig. They're living in a, a natural... They're not living in some crazy warehouse. Yes. He does same with his chickens. He has this mobile chicken coop, and he moves it from pasture to pasture, and this is how he operates his entire farm.
1: Yes. It seems, again, the a point that's been... We've talked about earlier, that we ought to like if we look at like no one knows what's right so perhaps what we could try and do is replicate what we do naturally and yeah. so so there is an argument that naturally we do hunt there is a, an argument that naturally we do eat meat there is a naturally
0: ar- grow food too though I mean, right there's an argument that like that's what i was saying like getting into organic gardening If you have your own garden, man, I mean, that is like one of the most karma-free things ever. If you can figure out a way to have your own compost, your own garden, and you don't ever have to rely on anybody else for your food, well, then you're not participating in that shit at all.
1: Do you think that the spirit of entrepreneurship could be to designing these systems. Do you think the only thing that incentivizes people is maximum profit? I I do too. I think that it is possible that people would sit around and go, how do we organise a society that's fairer and just? That doesn't kill people's individualism or creativity or right to pursue different goals or to be who they are and believe who, you know. But like I feel like there's so much fog in the air. People don't know what they actually believe in because there's so much powerful cultural influence, so much toxin, physical toxin, literal toxins and toxicity. Cultural toxicity. You know how are how am I to uh, protect my children from cultural influences that telling them you have to look this way, be this way, behave that way? These are the things that call. If you're not this, you're not a man. If you're not this, you're not a woman. You know, like like you know, as a parent, I feel the obligation to create an environment where they can grow up to be who they are in inverted Mm -hmm. commas. And then when you sort of scale that up to a society, you know, how can we start to recognise? look, is this time to look at different systems for living? And I, what I feel is people want to be involved in the, in the power systems that affect them. Like if you have a group of 100 people, they want to be, be able to run their own schools, run their own care systems, run, be in charge of their own lives, not just be some little beam of energy flicked about by cultural forces that they can't reach or touch. It's alienating. And like one of the things in Marxism, and, that, you know, and I know very little about this subject, is he says that when capitalism reaches a certain point, people will be lost alienated they'll feel like a cog in a machine no Mm. one will have no pride in their work no one will know what it's like to make a whole bicycle and think look i made that you're just you're the guy that makes the pedals now fuck off home Mm. you know now like you know like i've listened to enough jordan peterson to understand that there are limitations to what Socialism and Marxism can achieve but just because you know capitalism is better than feudalism That doesn't mean that's the end of the conversation that we shouldn't be looking for fairer better more just ways of living
0: Well, um, yeah, I don't know if capitalism is the problem, but maybe it's how people engage with capitalism Maybe it's what people choose to focus on if you're just about acquiring wealth and money some people are, yeah, they're going to be very deeply unhappy. And it's going to be this weird game of acquiring influence and power till you just have this insurmountable mound of money that you live on top of, right? I don't think that's a, a good way for them either. I think if we're going to really we're going to look at this country fairly. We have to look at, think of all the poor neighborhoods and imagine being born in those poor neighborhoods and imagine being born in a place where there's no resources, there's no, hell. you live in the fucking mountains of West Virginia, those coal mining communities or people, are, it's all just mobile homes and pills and it's chaos and just extreme poverty. What do you do if you're stuck in there? What if, you, if you're born into that clan? That's the group you're born into. You're fucked, man. You're fucked. We have to take our resources and concentrate on parts of america the same way we concentrate on many other problem spots in the world and look at them as like hey man there's a spot where people are fucked Mm. we should unfuck them we should figure out a way to go into every single horrible community in this country on this planet ones that are just as bad as some that you see in third world countries they exist right here in america fix that Don't ignore that. That's crazy. If they're in Detroit, if they're in wherever the fuck they are, whatever whatever the horrible community is, why – Isn't there a concerted national effort to eliminate that? That's a major source of crime. It's a major source of problem. People feel like they got fucked over in life, so they want to get at you and take from you because you got that easy road. Hey, man, you're born in the fucking suburbs. Hey, man, your mom and dad are still together. You know, hey, man, your, your dad has a job and your mom's at home baking and shit. You live like a motherfucking Norman Rockwell movie. Fuck you, man. My mom's on crack. My mom's a prostitute. My life is hell. My dad beats me. I've been sexually molested since I was a little kid. This is the reality that people exist in. They don't feel like anybody's coming to help them. We we need to concentrate on that. The government, if the government really cares about us, if they're really involved in social engineering and making America better again, make those places better. Those are the places you need to concentrate on. Not tax breaks for fucking super rich corporations that get you in place. They they make enough money, man. That's not the problem. The money where where the money goes. What's it being allocated towards? The biggest problem in our country is these in. Impossible to escape communities, yes, th- that so many people just get sucked into this trap, and for every person that gets out and becomes a basketball player or a successful business person and and they have this story about the poverty that they grew up in they they are so rare, yes and, th- th- and then it's not to be applauded. That they got through that, it is, but it's more to be, we should understand, like, hey, we've got a real fucking problem that we're churning out all these people that live, with, with, they, they start out in life with a massive deficit, start out in life emotionally fucked, physically abused, they start out with everybody around them's a loser, everybody's going to jail, everybody's uh, constantly doing pills or this or that. The, it's all negative, and to, to to ask them to develop their own positive mindset uniquely in a vacuum is preposterous. Yes. So, just pull them up by your bootstraps. All those assholes. Hey, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, they don't even have boots, man. You don't understand. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you've never seen it. You've never been involved in that kind of poverty. It's yes. not fair. It's no. not fair at all. And if we care about people, that's what we should fucking care about. Yes, I couldn't agree more. The, the number really one problem. problem. <laughs> and it's everywhere in the world. All the all the crime and poverty. Imagine if everyone, the lowest you could live is like a middle class existence. Yes. Boy, everybody would all be a lot more fucking relaxed. <laughs> Immediately, if you always had meals, you always had food, you always had a roof over your head. Everyone lives middle class. Holy shit! I mean, mm. obviously, that's way past the expectations that we have right now for the world. Because like thirty four thousand dollars a year globally puts you in the world one percent. You know, mm. I mean, that's the if you make thirty four thousand dollars a year, which is
1: hard to live on, man. Yes, you you're in the one percent of the world. But that standard that you've I, so very eloquently described is. I think achievable, and yeah. that ought be the aim. And when you give just one example of how legislate, the bias of legislation is continually to support the powerful while making yeah. the just making nominal gestures to yes. poverty. Oh, Good gonna- way of putting it. Yeah, nominal
0: gestures. I like the way you put that. Yeah,
1: and like so, the, 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 if there is a point to nation, if there is a point to a flag, and our belief, and this idea that there is an america and there is a britain and we're all together and we're all one and we've got a common destiny and a common past then if we're not if we're ignoring and neglecting those communities then i say that is what defines us you know and until there are systems codes regulations that prioritize that we will continue to live in something heading to if not a dystopia something moving in the direction of dystopia where the priorities and uh, dreams are sort of owned really by the kind of it's a bit mad evil... Insect robot images that we've well, seen discussed. Earlier. People
0: do get very concerned when someone reaches a point of excessive power and influence, like a Jeff Bezos type character. When you see some guy who's not—he doesn't have a million dollars. Like, like wow, a guy's got a million dollars. Like, he must be so relaxed. He's got so much money. No, he's got a hundred and fifty billion, and he works every day maniacally, and he's constantly doing new projects and new things and buying out Whole Foods, and that's like pinnacle capitalism is one of the things that scares people the most when someone just acquires just insane position of power and wealth like like a bill gates type character who is very altruistic very very generous bill gates is Accused are like like one of the better examples of someone who gains a lot of money and then does a lot to help people. Especially in his retirement, all all they do is focus on charitable organizations. And
1: yeah, which and, is brilliant, but yeah. like, like, and um, you know, marvelous. And you know, I'm not not criticizing the great achievements of brilliant people, but uh, like, it, but it really, for me, that demonstrates the, lim- the the limitations come from the type of systems we live in. Yeah. That you can't through charity affect every impoverished community in America. You know, like we, the systems that we have are our world if you're poor like that you know the bootstrap model well this guy did it look at this great guy who overcame the odds you know until like i feel like in a sense charity has become a kind of valve that allows uh, you know people like you and i who aren't poor to feel like well i do a bit you know i'm sort of involved i can wash my hands of it when you know like what these unless we there's there is no America, there is no England unless we have integral relationships with one another right. where we support one another. We're on a just, team. Right. If we
0: really are on a team, and we see someone who's completely downtrodden who's on our team, and we ignore them, well, that's not much of a fucking team, is it? No. I mean, that's what I feel like when I come to red lights and I see homeless people. I, I feel terrible. I'm like, I feel like, you know, I mean, there's part of you is like, don't give them any money because you they know they're gonna just buy drugs. Yeah. you know let them figure it out but then they're not going to figure it out they have mental health issues and no, they're stuck yeah, out right. here and they're supposedly on the team they probably were born in america they probably have national citizenship here you know they this is our team and no one gives a fuck that they're camped out under the bridge it's like it, the the diffusion of responsibility that comes with these massive numbers 20 million in la 300 and plus whatever it is now What is it like 320 in America,
1: yeah, it's unbelievable. I think there's ninety thousand in the general California, like a city's worth of yeah. homeless people, isn't it? It's not yeah. difficult for me to envisage. Like when we talk about the transcendent states that can be achieved through meditation and psychedelics, meaning that beings like us can access them, it's not difficult to envisage human, like a type of creature, a type of being, a little more evolved than us, that would look back and say, "Oh my God, they allowed homelessness. They yeah. allowed those impoverished communities. Oh, why yeah. was it? Because oh, they had this belief." in competitive systems and survival of the fittest that were resourced from ideas that weren't really meant to be translated into that when you were talking before about like the natural world is fraught with competition and threat of course it is, that is animals so you know I'm not disputing what you're saying there but we can't transpose that into an economic system survival of the fittest if you ain't got enough hustle and muscle fuck you you're, you're down by the wayside you know here we have an obligation to aspire to the better parts of our nature not to continually use materialism and rationalism to justify that 20% of the population population of, you know or whatever percentage it is are just garbage are just waste and they're, that's affordable we can accor- we can yeah. live with that it's for me it's that's why would we, once we have the knowledge that, oh yeah, we shouldn't be farming in that way, oh we shouldn't have social systems, all of the the answer is always the same because if you were to change in that area, it will affect the interests of the powerful. It will affect impede the ability of certain organizations to make profit. Now I'm you know I'm not talking about you know I don't know the lexicon enough around socialism and capitalism and Marxism and various forms of social organization. I'm just talking about my assumption that we're all resourced from the same basic material and phenomena. We all have compassion and love. Love in us. And if we, on an individual level, can achieve some level of access to that, then we can start to organize ourselves on that basis, not on the basis of, well, what's the most I can get as an individual? It's rational for me to, I'm not involved in that. That doesn't affect me personally. You know, Mm. and I think it's a hard thing for us to hold. I think the reason we all do just live with homelessness and the only decision we make is do we put a couple of dollars out the window with the light or not then like it's hard to hold that it's hard well, it's to all, love more than 100 n- people or there's
0: whatever. no fix like there's no not as an individual but not as not one person and even collectively as a group when you have mental health issues unless you want to institutionalize those people yeah but then who here's the thing right if everyone has a unique and uh, if everyone has their own ideas about what to do with their life, and everyone has freedom, what if you just don't have enough people that are interested in in mental health of the homeless people? You just don't have enough. There's no I feel resources. Guarantee
1: the, the resources. Yeah, that's a big question because our systems are biased in a particular what direction. If money, what if they have government funding? Do you think that they could cure homelessness? One of the advantages I've got of being a drug addict is it means I have to help other drug addicts as part of my own recovery. This puts me into areas, institutions, groups, facilities where. I'm meeting drug addicts and always what you'll find the people that work there there's always someone like a man or a woman most often in my personal experience is a woman some matriarchal woman full of mother energy that just will do this shit forever for free for nothing that just loves it that's just put herself like my grandmother did or my mother did or like these women do between people in the gutter that mm-hmm. are just willing to say I'll be the person I'll yeah. be the person in LA at Friendly House it was a woman called Peggy Albrecht that used to run a play a Friendly House for women that have got drug and addiction and abuse issues and like this woman she was from Chicago she was 90 years old by the time like I met her. she was so rude and brilliant and beautiful and entirely willing to dedicate herself and I think every community everywhere everyone knows people like that and I feel that like the same way as like if it is someone that's got a great capacity to play basketball or be a comic like I think that when you spot those people mm. that you encourage them yeah, talented and, support and helping them. people. Yeah, the yeah. talent of compassion and, yeah. love, you know, but, but we don't value that unless it's like, unless it can be turned to a profit, fuck off. All of those organizations, like those uh, organizations that help people with addiction issues, you know, like, they are maligned and like the, the people that profit from the opioid crisis, they are supported, they are able to conceal as John Oliver brilliantly revealed, they're able to conceal their practices continually, the, the invisible bias is in the direction of profit and like the failure of certain types of socialism doesn't mean that's the end of the argument i think we have an obligation to look for ways of accessing our own uh, higher nature better nature kinder nature call it what you will and seeing how we can organize that now, as an individual you can do so much i mean if, if bill gates can you know fucking hell i don't know cure malaria and make the significant charitable data, you know these impressive powerful people can't make a meaningful difference then clearly this is a systemic problem
0: well there's also the problem with homeless people and that they're adults um, when you become an adult and you develop from the time you're a child, it's probably very likely that the damage was all done while they were young. They were probably abused and mm. neglected, and there's a lot of issues that led them to either have mental health problems or they had mental health problems already. Maybe they have genetic problems. Then on top of that, there's drug abuse. To, you, for each one of those people to get well you're going to need a massive amount of folks. You're not going to have one old lady who's rude, who's fun (laughs) and brilliant. That's a cute movie. No, but that's 20 people. But I think
1: there's another... Yeah, it's a good movie. Write that down. Write it
0: down. I could be rich. Yeah, who would be the woman? Who would you play? uh, Faye Dunway
1: or some shit. I would have liked the one that was uh, out of Golden Girls, Estelle Getty. Is she still
3: available? I don't... I think oh god. That's a wrap Betty White's still around.
1: Betty White's still hanging in there. Yeah, but would
0: you book a movie around her stink hanging on? I don't know that this <laughs> is going that to be. Yeah. How yeah. are we going to
1: fund this? Yeah. It's um no, no, you're right. Look, there's limitations to the individual, but that's not like crash this optimism in the crib now, Joe, because I feel no, like no, if no, there were we'll systemic changes I'm not change. crashing
0: the optimism. But I'm saying the logistics of it would almost be insurmountable and it's but what very we hard we refer to, fit, to what logistics
1: you, is not an objective thing. It's a thing that's been biased over time,
0: sort of once a person is developed once they're a human it's very difficult to turn that train around yeah if we can save the community and save the future like help like less people get through fucked help let help more people get through with hope and with a real possibility for improving their life versus have this sense of hopelessness that many are confronted with that's gonna make less crime oh, i agree that's like that's just if they, if someone looked at it from a social engineering standpoint it almost seems like the, the only way that would ever have to happen would be there's be some fucking catastrophe that forced people to act like we sometimes need something that's shoved in our face to force us to act but if someone brilliantly Calculated the amount of resources that it would require and then also brilliantly calculated how much less crime we would have how much less how many more Innovations because people didn't waste their lives in fact, they got through life and Used one of the most valuable resources we have which is the human imagination and creativity and ingenuity like and we're missing that on these people that are Growing up in these horrible environments where they can't escape. They're so fucked From they're in gangs They're you know the crime and poverty and violence They're so fucked that whatever genius they have is wasted on this nonsensical existence. If they could just show that and quantify how much that would be, how valuable that would be to the overall culture and community of the co- of the continent and then ultimately of the earth, I mean, there, you would have a reason
1: to engineer and think about this. Yeah, it's a beautiful, that is r- really beautiful. And it's interesting that the way that I agree with you, that it almost has to at some point be translated into monetary yes. value because otherwise people and don't safety. seem to read it. Yeah, and safety
0: for everybody, for them who live in these hard horrible communities wouldn't it be great again if everybody lived like a middle-class person the idea that that's impossible seems so insane it's almost seems like well then nobody should live like that mm-hmm. then like either everybody should be able to live like that or nobody should be able to live like that that was like that's what everybody really wants right you want to be comfortable like right? in, in terms of like your ability to exist and then all the things you're doing that you struggle with should be a good percentage of them other than emotional and friendship type things should be of your own choosing you choose to t- to take a difficult path. You, sh- you choose to take an adventure. You choose to try to enrich yourself with this difficult experience and the challenge of it and try to overcome that challenge instead of ch- you- your challenge is not to get killed by a gang. You know, your your challenge is not get fucked by your uncle again. You know what I mean? I mean, this is what people have to deal with, and you're you're missing these brilliant minds. They don't get this chance to come through and and sneak through that fucking salmon ladder. You know, get up to the top.
1: This is very uh, beautiful that you're uh, passionate about this, and I think popularizing these ideas is important because I feel that then people will be familiar with this kind of language and will recognize that when there is political discourse, how fatic and empty it is that people will say, you know, like I think in the last election in your country, it was, clear that there was no one no one is saying that no one no one is uh, standing on a political platform of do you know what everyone should basically be able to live a middle-class uh, lifestyle there's no reason there's enough resources we can do this we could organize society on that basis because that's considered outlandish and yeah. crazy and we're so there's so much i can again you know with your um, imaginary listener that, uh, listener that would consider this pontification you know there's so much anger i can I feel that a lot of political events that have occurred in the last five years are the manifestation of a social rage of people that are pissed off with not being heard mm-hmm. are pissed off with a cultural conversation that didn't include them uh, and that they feel angry now, I don't want to help other people fuck those But you know like that that resource is becoming sort of nurtured and grown and it, I feel people would feel tremendous relief to let go of that yeah. to, to feel like listen it's alright for you to be you but could we be a little more aspirational and a, a little and consider what our goals are Consider what progress looks like to yeah. us. Is progress the terrifying robots, or is progress considering elevating the lowest among us to raise the standard? If
0: people could just understand that this this is not forever. You don't. There is no such thing as forever. This is a temporary thing, oh. and you've got to try to eke as much good out of this as you can. And to go against my point, you know, there's a real problem with people being lazy. People are lazy. There's not an equality of effort. The uh, the idea of equality of outcome, like people want, you know, income equality. Well, there's no effort equality. That's just a fact. There's people out there that are just, they work harder, they're smarter, they're more focused, they're less distracted, they're more dedicated, they have a better plan. They've mm, thought it through better and they become more successful. And the idea that they become more successful than you because somehow or another there's some nefarious actions afoot, well, that, that negates another possibility, which is you're a lazy cunt. That's a possibility.
1: Yes. And now, what do we do about those people? I tell you this, I've got a plan for the lazy. What do they, we do? Lazy uh, island? You're all Ship going to lazy, It's a bit like Pinocchio's Donkey <laughs> Land. <laughs> no arcade games, though. They're too lazy. I feel like, um, well, I consider this, that people that don't have a lot of life force, like... I feel like it's a gift to be a person that's got a lot of drive to be yes. a person that's like I'm fucking going to achieve this shit you know like some people are a mm-hmm. le- little lethargic and don't have a lot of energy I feel that's a kind of despondency we could break that down in a thousand different ways is it poor diet is it poor role models is it poor social conditioning who are these lazy people weak genes could be weak genes could be too. even weak genes so yeah. then we're like in the territory of disability so however right. you look at it I think you end up at a point of compassion I think you. I think we should start at the point of compassion yeah. Because thought like what is tolerance if it isn't the tolerance of people that we sort of can't understand? As know?
0: long as they carry their own weight, we usually don't have a problem with it. But when they're so lazy they just juke the system and screw. Screw people over and figure their way to scam through life.
1: Yeah, but I think those people don't exist only at the bottom of the social ladder. I think they exist at the top, and the effect there is worse. Like Are you talking about the
0: president of the United States? <laughs> this is my country, motherfucker. You better be a little
1: bit more I polite. Actually, met your president, and I <laughs> found him to be delightful. Yeah, that's really? the sort of thing. Yeah, he was sort of very sort of sweet. Again, like I say, I don't judge people on the. I interviewed him about five years ago. I was doing saw, oh, I was, before, he was the yeah, before he was the president. he was the president, he was okay, back let then. me near him. And, uh, (laughs) Present, is he? I wouldn't be able to get over the fence, (laughs) let alone the wall. Like, like he, um, yeah, he was sort of sweet. But I remember thinking, what I felt was, why you don't have no intellectual curiosity? He that's doesn't? what I felt. Well, that's what I felt. I felt like it, I was it sort of liked him. He was nice, and his staff at that big tower—they all loved him. But well, I thought, maybe you don't think have about much it curiosity, way. and I don't think he's been very genuine with that great "Make America Great Again." Do you? I don't like. He's, where's that? Everyone should be middle class. We're going to start reorganizing society, reaching out into Detroit and into crushed mining towns in West Virginia. Where's that? other than Otherwise, you ain't making America great again. That's true. That's true. But think
0: about how we were talking about Dave Chappelle. About one of the reasons why he's so great, other than the fact that he's smart, mm. and just and mm. all these good things is that he knows what he does and he does it. Right. That's his wheelhouse. He stays in there. Trump's wheelhouse is making giant gold buildings with his name on them <laughs> and spray tan. He knows what the fuck to do and he knows how to make money. And yeah. he doesn't give a fuck about all that other stuff because that other stuff is wasted energy for him. His energy is in focusing on how you get more buildings
1: with those giant gold Trump letters on it. And no one can argue that it's been a tremendous success. It I once stayed in worked. one of those hotels, the water bottle had his face on it. You know what I mean? He's amazing. Incredible. (laughs) What an achievement. (laughs) I was drinking (sighs) inside of his face. But that's
0: his thing, right? It's like, why is it okay for your thing to be tennis? And that's all you know about. I don't even pay attention to the politics. Why is that okay? But when we see a guy like him... We Have a problem with it because he's not his intellectual curiosity is only about money, so yeah. it's even grosser.
1: I, I agree. Listen, this know where I, that, to return to my point. I wouldn't waste time judging anyone as, as an individual because I imagine if I were to spend time examining Donald Trump's past, his relationship with his father, the conditions he grew up in, yeah. what he felt he had to do to be a good person, I would imagine I'd go, Yeah, of course. But what I would query <laughs> is a system that elevates uh, that people like that, and I, you know, to he, position of incredible power like and you know again i believe that it's systems that need to change not individuals and i think we've overly fetishized politics i don't live in this country so i don't know if it's much worse under trump i've heard some things that sound really bad than it was under barack obama but what my more my general belief is you don't fetishize individuals and get distracted think about changing the system because you're not getting that middle-class lifestyle for everyone neither no one's offering that Bernie Sanders isn't offering that no one's offering that. and unless someone's offering that what's the where why should we get involved
0: have you ever talked to economists about like what is the problem what's the like people that are you know more socialistic minded they'd be more socialist minded I guess But, but understanding of capitalism to the point where they could point out the flaws in allowing this infinite growth model where someone gets to a point like a Jeff Bezos or something like that what would they do to mitigate that you're not gonna put a cap like let's when people say that like you're gonna pay seventy percent of taxes over ten million dollars, I was like one of the ones that was banded about. People just start laughing, like you're out of your fucking
1: mind. No one's gonna do that. They'll get to ten million dollars and then they'll stop. Yeah. It, like it, it's stupid. It's that's I think a, a very limit in system and I feel that the problems are broader than that I think that the like did you ever sit like you know if you ever watched Steve Bannon talk that he's a man like you know someone I would again not politically agree with for what it's worth but when his description of what happened in that economic crash of 2008 mm-hmm. and the decisions that were made for the you know American taxpayer to bail out the like financial industry and I've seen, subsequently seen a documentary that said look this is why we had to do that these were the options but like for me that is a demonstration of capitalism's inherent failings and limitations. That we're not talking about a system that is flawless and perfect. It's pretty fucking flawed. Aside from the human collateral damage and that you have again described, the, the the communities that are impoverished and without hope and living in poverty in a kind of slavery. You know, it even in itself doesn't work according to its own rules. It has to be artificially sustained and rebooted when it inevitably fails. Well, so, the
0: pure sign of it is that the fact that no one went to jail for the subprime mortgage crisis. Crisis. yeah those guys didn't go to jail all those guys that the, with the real financial analysts were looking at it from a distance they were going i see where this is going like this is going to blow up and a lot of people going to lose their houses like you guys are assholes like yeah and, and there was a lot of people that engaged in those predatory loans and they didn't get punished those those guys the craziest thing is a lot of them got bonuses Yes, that's right. They was- got bonuses even if the bank got bailed out. And they said the bonuses were part of their contracts. And if they didn't honor their contracts, they'd have a hard time hiring these people. And there would be chaos. And they, they just made it a reason why they had to give them millions of dollars in bonuses. Yeah. To, when they failed. Like, so- you get a bonus and you failed? Like, your bank failed and you still get a bonus? Like, you knew about those predatory loans? You knew about those? You knew about the subprime mortgage bullshit that was going down in your business, yes. and you just let it ride And now you're gonna get a you're gonna get a bonus. What's the bonus for?
1: <laughs> yeah, what would you have to do to be fined if that's yeah, that's the bonus what system? What would you have to do to be jailed? Yeah, I mean, just
0: think about what they're doing to Julian Assange, right? They're they're they're, they're throwing that guy in a jail somewhere. Yeah, that didn't look good. That embassy move. No, but I mean, the fact that what he did was release information that everybody found very interesting. And what they did is crash the whole fucking economy. Right. You it's know? pretty
1: good that he was able to ride that embassy idea for as long as he... Because it's not actually in uh, another country, years, is man. it? It's in no, London. I know where it is. London. I went and visited him in there, yeah. as a matter of fact. Just briefly popped in. Saw what do you
0: think's going to happen with
1: him? Well, I think he's going to end up serving a pretty lumpy prison sentence somewhere, isn't he? For- what do you think they're going to get him on,
0: though? Like, what are they going to charge him on? They're charging him on, like, hacking charges or some shit now, which
1: they didn't charge him on before right is that what's emerged and he's going to be extradited to this country is that true i don't know i don't know well i mean again i suppose this is what happens if you challenge the interests of the powerful if If trump was
0: really if trump really wanted to get people on his side
1: he'd pardon them do you think that that would be popular because like someone like that edward snowden is it like look i'm sort of obviously i think don't put the lives of people at risk that are in Compromised military positions. That seems like a fairly obvious thing, but like I don't uh, think they did that. But though. no, from what that- I
0: understood was they got hacked and someone else released the. The documents without the names redacted. Yeah, it seems to the me that WikiLeaks never did that.
1: Edward Ed Snowden seems to qualify for a hero in pretty yeah. much any way you look at it. He's like a 26 year old person making that decision, yeah. and yeah, and
0: very brilliant. You know, I've heard him. Uh, I think he was on Neil deGrasse Tyson's podcast.
1: Where they talked to him. Oh, via, wow. via Skype or however they did it. But did you see in Citizen Four? There's a bit like in that film about Edward Snowden, Citizen Four. There's a bit where he's just come out and he's talking to the journalists or filmmakers that are making the film, and he's going, "They can fucking watch you with this phone. You can't leave." Like he's yeah. like in a sort of a state of mad enlightenment where he's just yeah. seen the truth of they're listening to us now. You can't fucking have that on. You got like, like yeah. it's terrifying to watch someone because, you know, obviously now he's calmed down. He's dealt with it. He understands that, you know, but he was like a person that was emerging from having seen the other side of the Matrix. Yeah. I
0: mean, I mean, he was deep into it. And then when he revealed all the information, they had a fucking they were had a manhunt for him. The guy had to hide out in Russia. He had to seek asylum in our enemy. Yes, it's, it's, The whole thing is so strange.
1: Yeah, so who do our power structures actually support? If someone tells the truth to the population, they have to flee to Russia. If yeah. someone t- talks about improper agricultural practices, that's against the law they can be in prison. It starts to reveal that the state itself, the very thing that we revere, the very thing that we identify, is the tool of our oppression. They
0: want to discourage people from leaking information that makes them look horrible. It's that simple. Yeah, it's, it's that simple. If you look at what information he leaked and what it, what it did, well, it you know what he did was he revealed things that everyone wanted to know about yes. that we felt were crimes.
1: It makes me feel that it's as simple as if you knew what we do in order to keep shit running, you would revolt. So we are never going to let yeah. you know. Well, that for me, in a sense, is a past that's stuffing. Well, hold on a fucking well, hell. Well, who
0: are you? I thought you are elected officials. You're one of us. But no, you're above us to the point where if someone leaks information about your crimes, they get locked in this embassy for seven years? Like, what is their crime exactly in comparison to the crimes that he's revealed? Yes. Like, that's where it's crazy. The, 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 when you look at the, the balance, the imbalance between... What his crime is and the crimes that he's revealed, I mean, he's revealed some staggering crimes and no one's concentrating on that. The government is not freaking out. We've got a we've got some, obviously uh, we have work
1: to do. We have
0: corrections to make. There's none of that talk. There's get that guy talk. Yeah, that's right.
1: And uh, you know, like it's sort of uh, under the veil of patriotism, a lot can be concealed. And, and that is a an incident that... Passes through several administrations. So, like you. He's been there for
0: seven years
1: yeah so it makes you think well what is the what are the differences you know like i kind of you know sort of uh, i've been on bill Maher's show i like bill Maher. i'm uh, i'm you know very sympathetic to left you know i'm ultimately beyond left left wing i'm you know trying to my belief is that we should try and organize a system based on hallucinogenic experience for fuck's sake there's there's no party for me and i'm not even allowed the fucking hallucinogens so like uh, you know so like i'm like you know i'm not a right-wing person it's safe to say but like i feel that so many of the problems that we're experiencing now is become the the democratic left-wing liberal organisations stopped serving the people they were in the case of the British Labour Party designed set up to serve they neglected them they abandoned them you know the white the white working class in Britain were 50-60 years ago told hey there's this thing called Britain we want you to go out there and fight and die for it give up your sons get out there oh and now they're told hey there's no such thing as uh, Britain and like yeah they, so, no wonder people are confused no yeah. wonder people are baffled no wonder they're abandoned constituencies and despair and rage and i i feel that in a way it's like what is patriotism resourced from a sense that we all need to belong that we want to be together that you know that we're willing to believe in a fictional idea a flag and a story about you know the origin of a nation whether that's an old one like mine or a new one like this one you know we're willing to participate in that but if those values aren't real if they aren't like if it is we are going to support the most powerful we will lie to you whenever necessary when our lies are revealed we'll imprison punish and lie about those people we don't care about the most vulnerable what the fuck is the flag that we're waving who is it for
0: it's a good point and on that note let's wrap this bitch up good we went out high we went that was a good one it was a good way to end it russell you're awesome man oh, i love thanks, you Joe. I love appreciate you, you always like being around you yeah me and too. Uh, your book mentors it's out now your Bless podcast you. will be available uh on luminary starting 23rd 23rd of this month so just a few days. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of the show. Get bye
2: broken. bye.